Hello and welcome to another Canada-centric focused episode of House of Decline. We are we are now a show. It's called we're not House of Decline anymore. It's called Good Canada Land. We <laughs> see, we've seen an opportunity. We've seen an opportunity. A, a, a large giant of Canadian independent media is is falling over, and now we need to capitalize on that by you know getting our political game on. We're gonna do investigative podcasts you know we're gonna have you know soft ambient music in the background while we talk about harrowing tales of places like flin flon you know <laughs> what goes on in flin flon you know that will be yeah. one of our major things and it turns out probably a bunch of abuses against indigenous people because that's a lot of what canada land was about but we're good canada land now and and for our first episode of good canada land we have on returning guest and uh Canadian journalism hero, Jeremy Appel. <laughs> How are you, Jeremy? Well, that was a very charitable uh, introduction. Great to be here on the uh, inaugural episode of, of Good, good Canada, Canada Land. Land. Yeah, it's Good Canada yeah. Land, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see this enterprise grow into uh, a really a series of podcasts and investigative journalism pieces. Yeah. Um, it's going to be great. We're going to have like a website that has like some good blocky like Memphis corporate design. You know, it's going to look really professional. You know, it's going to have pastels yeah. and, you know, there's going to be like uh, we're going to have ads, but we'll be subtle about it. We'll be subtle about it. You know, uh, freaking uh, it'll be ads for, you know, like Canadian stuff like maple syrup. You know, that's yeah. how that's good Canada land, you know. I bought this maple gar at in the corner of Loblaws the other day. They were promoting maple themed, maple themed products. I bought myself a maple garlic sauce. wasn't wasn't that good, but I I was supporting my country. You know, and that's why yeah. we're good Canada land. You know, regular it's always, Canada land. It's always important to uh, shop local, um, yeah. and you know, especially at this time of rising anti-Semitism, to support your. Uh, <laughs> Local Jewish-owned bookstore. Um, yes. <laughs> As, yeah, by buying uh, Kennyism. All the Jewish, yeah. all the independent Jewish bookstores are carrying Jeremy Appel because he's a member of the tribe. They're carrying, yeah. they're carrying his wonderful new book, Kennyism, uh, which is, of course, about the reign of terror of Jason Kenny in Alberta. And you spent the better part of your journalistic career covering this guy, essentially. You, your, your first job, your first, like, newspaper job, like, actual print media job was in Medicine Hat. And uh, a lot of that, uh, did that involve covering, like, provincial politics, or did you get more into that when you uh, were moving to Edmonton and such? Uh, yeah, so, because, uh, so I worked at this paper in this tiny town just a couple hours uh, north west of where i live now in edmonton which is the capital of alberta uh called white court uh about like nine thousand people live there and so i moved there from toronto where uh mr decline is uh located <laughs> yeah the big and, city uh, yeah a very big the biggest in canada um multicultural drake you know yeah 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 exactly the home <laughs> the hometown of drake yeah of uh the weekend yeah of uh who rush. else is from Toronto? uh yeah scott rush. pilgrim the dave steeb yeah lots of lowry it, it's a yeah kyle is 
Kyle Lowry. He's not from Toronto, about, but he's he's no, you know he's he's allowed he to be played from here. Toronto, he played in yeah. Toronto. He's he's integral to the city. Yeah, uh, but he's yeah, now you're going to White Court, which sounds like a joke about going to a town that's very white. But yeah, you're in you're in w- White which court. it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, and it's uh, uh you. It, it was i was there for like 7 months it was it was pretty rough it was a big culture shock of course uh, it was pretty solitary time for me and i drank a lot but i also <laughs> uh but this was sort of the my introduction to alberta provincial politics i had, i had, i i had captured an interest in it uh when i was living in toronto and just being interested in various uh, ephemera of Canadian politics. Yeah. I remember in 2014 uh, when basically, so Alberta was governed by the sort of progressive, what was called the Progressive Conservative Party for like 45 years. <laughs> Very funny name. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah and then there was this uh upstart sort of right-wing populist more rural based uh party called the wild roads <laughs> that was sort of it was like a you know like tea party type yeah but uh, it had that like cowboy movement. aesthetic that alberta prides yeah. itself on it had that we're the wild rose party you know we're beautiful and rugged yeah. like the wild what, rose you know yeah, which was led by this the, the this person named Danielle Smith. Yeah. Um who is now the premier of Alberta. But back then, like a decade ago, uh she was the leader of opposition to the PCs and so a lot of progressives in Alberta voted conservative as a lesser of two evils type of thing because mm-hmm. the Wild Rose was to the right of that. Um and Basically, after she she lost uh, in 2012, she was uh, seen as likely to win that election, but she lost for various reasons. I mean, she denied the science behind climate change. Uh, There was one of her candidates was this pastor who had a blog post that was uncovered during the election that said, like, homosexuals are damned to an eternity in the lake of fire. And Smith is like a libertarian type. Right. And and, and the problem with this brand of libertarianism is just like, I love everyone, like LGBTQ people, people who hate LGBTQ people. They're all great. Right. right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so when this came out, she stood by him. She was like, yeah, he's entitled to his opinion. And that was so anyway, she loses. And then two years later, her and most of the elected members of her party cross the, what's called crossing the floor in Canada. I, I don't know if there's an equivalent in the States, but they go on mass to join the governing PC party. Um, as as an effort to unite the right in in Alberta, yeah. right? That was an early effort in that, and that was a disaster for her. Um, she lost the her nomination, or I guess what Americans would call a primary, mm-hmm. uh, to run for the PCs in for in the twenty fifteen election, mm-hmm. and so did all the uh, Wild Rose people. She left with so it was a total mistake. Yeah. But um, then in 2015, 
people are fed up with the PCs who run forever and they vote for the NDP, which is like candidly. Yeah. That doesn't happen a lot in Alberta, which is famously the most conservative province in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's changed. I think Saskatchewan is probably the most conservative province in Canada now. Um, Just because of the demographics, like Alberta is increasingly young and diverse and has two like massive cities, Calgary and Edmonton, whereas Saskatchewan doesn't. Oh, you're saying that the corner gas people are probably conservative? I don't like that. You think there's not a lot going on? Well, look closer, buddy. You're so wrong. That's why you can stay so... Nah, they're probably very conservative. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but I've actually never watched Corn Gas. But, but, but so it's basically the NDP wins this nominally uh, social democratic party. But in, essentially in Canada, we have two democratic parties. We have the NDP and the liberals, and they are both equally as annoying. Yeah. Um, and so this wasn't like this ambitious left-wing... Government. Yeah. She was a centralist like, sort of apparatchik in the same way that we have like Jagmeet Singh or like uh, Andrea Horvath. You know, there was they. Just- she she she's a lot more like Hor- in the mold of Horvath. If Horvath actually won power, than yeah. than Singh. Yeah. Uh, I would say uh, there are, and this is continuing now. The the federal New Democratic Party, which is like ever so slightly to the left of liberals, like they're essentially like the party of like Warren and the Squad, yeah. right? Like when AOC said she'd be in a different political party than Biden in most Western countries, that I mean, that's sort of yeah. dynamic she was referring to. And the liberals are more the party of uh, you know Biden, Biden. Kamala. And uh, uh, Chuck, Sh- I mean Chuck Schumer might even be a conservative again. Diane Feinstein, <laughs> yeah, Diane Feinstein, exactly. Um, and at the same time, Alberta is uh, this province that is often likened to Texas, both in terms of this sort of like cowboy culture it has, but also in terms of its. Uh, economic reliance on oil and gas revenue so Mm -hmm. alberta has alberta has even more oil and gas than texas um has more oil than iraq but the problem is the oil in in the tar sands which is in uh northeastern alberta near the the city uh fort mcmurray is that it's crap it's it's not it's not um it's not crude oil. It's it's bitumen. So yeah. it, it, it's uh, this it's isn't the mid enti- of oil. It's like it's yeah, the yeah, dirt, yeah. It's the dirt weed of oil. It's the stems and seeds of oil. Yeah, it's swag. It yeah. is. It, it is swag oil because yeah. basically it's it, the bitumen is like a combination of oil, sand, water, and uh, other like hydrocarbons and so it's a really uh intensive process to extract compared with uh even heavy oil or or not to mention like light uh you know uh uh sweet crude or or, it's just like that song bitumen better have my money there you go. Yeah, that's at, great puns. not a lot of people These know great that. Puns. That's actually, <laughs> I'm sure people have made that that's pun a, before. That, that's about the tar sands. And so, yeah. but the NDP, um, when they're elected, took this approach that no, we are going to totally 
champion the Tarsans, and we're going to do it while uh, also claiming to be these yeah. bold climate leaders. They brought in a carbon tax. Um, they instituted a cap on emissions from the tar sands, which sounds good, but the cap was so high that it, 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 it <laughs> I can't, it, you can't throttle really the economic prosperity of Alberta. What are you stupid? And it's yeah. great. Cause it was like those ads where it was, it had that like, uh, a generic ambient uh, synth music of we in Alberta are finding new ways to have energy come into our lives. Yeah, yeah, and that's the, the Pathways and Alliance. Safely, and, yeah. and, and, and NDP totally went on board with this, but they were also trying to, they, did, they made this futile effort to sort of create a consensus among the oil and gas industry and environmentalist NGOs in favor of some like middle ground climate action, like introducing a price on carbon, mm -hmm. um, capping emissions from tar sands, but in a way that allows them to grow. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, they did expand, uh, the park system in Alberta. Right. I mean, they did do some good, but, mm -hmm. um, this came at a time when the price of oil had crashed in 2014 and they were really starting to see the effects of that yeah. in the early days when the NDP came to power and they were sort of faced with a choice, I think, right? They could have done what they did and been like, no, 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 we're totally pro oil. We're actually going to get pipelines built by, uh, taking climate action. Yeah. We're going to use climate action so we can build more pipelines. <laughs> right, it's like, yeah. well, that's that's fucking great. Yeah. Um, Got to keep the gears turning. Got to keep the mammon machine what, stoked. But what they could have done is 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 highlighted how this industry has sucked the province dry for for decades and made a small amount of people very wealthy. Yeah. And. And also, I mean, for a long time, right? I mean, when oil was booming, you could get a really high-paying job in the tar sands mm -hmm. without much education, right? So those those benefits did trickle down in good times, but then bad times, those people lose their jobs and they're yeah. alienated and they're upset. And um, it, it makes them prey to, to populism, uh, whether it's coming from a right-wing demagogue or someone on the left who channels those energy. But the NDP had no interest in, in, in playing that game. They were yeah. just like, no, we're, we're, we're going to work around the status quo. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason the NDP won, and this is the only time the NDP have formed government and the only time a non-conservative party formed government in Alberta in like almost a hundred years. Yeah. Right. Yeah, even even like the whole wave of Canadian like labor farmers didn't really affect Alberta's conservatism that much because it's real Jesus country out there. Well, yeah, I mean, they um, there was a United Farmers Alliance uh, government in Alberta in like probably yeah like the around 1910s like around when all yeah, that yeah. stuff was happening like the teens like yeah. in the same time but there was there were like whereas manitoba was overtly way more openly socialist than the somewhere like uh alberta well well saskatchewan I, I ironically yeah. because saskatchewan is 
was the the sort of home of the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation, which was uh, an explicitly anti-capitalist party of farmers that then merged with the labor movement and became the NDP, which at a time was uh, actually socialist. It certainly isn't now, um, especially in the provinces where it has power, where it's essentially just um, become, in practice, the liberal party right yeah and it, like slightly less was... monstrous liberals <laughs> so, yeah. yeah 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 on the federal level again they're doing this thing where after years of trying to sort of outflank the liberals on the center now what the approach of jagmeet singh is is to run ever so slightly to the left of trudeau and but now he's propping up trudeau's government right because it's a minority government which in yeah. canada is essentially the equivalent of having the presidency but not control over congress roughly equivalent to that and so mm -hmm. you need the support of another party yeah to get your votes crossed so the liberals entered this arrangement with the federal ndp that they would uh make some concessions in the ndp would uh, ensure that their government doesn't fall. Um, that agreement uh, hasn't been great for the NDP, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Well, because the problem I mean, is, you know, it, you're always, if you're the smaller party, you're going to get screwed because the liberals can have more leverage over you than you have over them, really, because you mm -hmm. don't want the conservatives. The liberals are fine with conservatives taking power. You're less fine with conservatives taking power if you are a left-wing person than if you are a centrist, right? So it's like, you just you're you're always in a lose it. You have less power inherently, right? But I mean that the the I mean, and, and so the federal government is doing things like introducing anti scab legislation, but also giving it in federally regulated workplaces. So yeah. like, uh, banks, uh, the post office, um. Uh, airlines, that 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 type of thing, which are more likely to be unionized than than mm -hmm. the the uh, private sector. Um, but it doesn't go into a. F it hasn't passed yet, and when it does, it, it the employers have like six month a yeah. six month period where they'll still be able to hire scabs. Um, and uh, you know they they they've introduced um essentially a subsidy for dental care for uh low income children and seniors yeah. that is uh, is going to be phased in to just be like a means tested yeah uh, very like it's incrementalist a, so, bullshit you know yeah, yeah and, and it's not even the program right like the first phase they just sent out checks to people and we're like go get your teeth checked up right because yeah. canada canadian public health care is the least public public health care system probably in the the developed yeah you don't get world. dental you don't get mental health care you don't get uh medicine medication a lot yeah. of the time covered so it's uh it's very yeah there's bizarre. there's so much that's left to the market and even like primary care like going to see a physician there's they're business owners right they have yeah. their own private practice and they bill the government for the services they provide and the the rates they charge are negotiated with the provincial government anyways but my point um is that the ndp in alberta in 2015 was elected mm -hmm. it because there was this split in the traditional 
right-wing Albertan vote between yeah. the PCs and the Wildrose. In most, right, the NDP won a lot of ridings yeah. or districts. Well, um, just that, as another aside, it was like this was also not just important on a provincial level, but the oil shock of Alberta was very important on a federal federal mm-hmm. level because it's what lost Stephen Harper the election, essentially. The fact that he had done so many oil subsidies and the, they, they like essentially uh, our economy was so hinged on Alberta's oil success that when the oil prices eventually crashed, it took the rest of the country with it. So Stephen Harper, whose claim had always been, you know, I'm the economy guy, you know, I'm the smart conservative economy guy, like Trudeau could easily just run against him on that. Um, yeah. So it and, affected and, and, the and, entire country as a whole as yeah, well that time. Yeah. And, I, and so Jason Kenney, um, to bring it back to mm-hmm. the the man of the hour. Yeah. Um, Finally, we get to Jason. This is all set up for Kenny. What's why yeah. was Kenny? What ha- so what is Kenny? So I, I get I the book sort of goes back to the beginning. And mm-hmm. so Kenny is in, in 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 my view, this really emblematic figure of the modern right wing ideology this yes. sort of blend of neoliberal economic policy that you know seeks to offload the state's responsibilities to provide for its citizens onto individuals and uh pri- other private actors and at the si- while at the same time Taking this neoconservative, moralistic, nationalistic mm-hmm. um, approach to social issues, and um, pursuing these lo- really strict law and order policies at yeah. home, uh, which Harper was was very keen on. And, uh, of course, militarism abroad, which um, I think one major, and I don't talk about that much in this book, but Mm -hmm. one major way you saw Harper and Kenny, who was one of his most loyal uh, acolytes, Mm -hmm. uh, um, he was, was... in in the realm of foreign policy, um, really um, taking a much more... uh, American first. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, not American, but you know, I mean, this embrace of U.S. Yeah. unilateral might. The Harper and Kenny were both enthusiastic supporters of yeah. the 2000 Iraq War, which Canada, under the Liberals, kind of stayed out of, yeah. but actually we, well, didn't. Crechian, like, Crechian, to his credit, you know, he didn't do a lot of good stuff, but he was uh, at least had the good sense to stay out of the Iraq War. Yeah. I mean, we but sent stuff this, over there. We we didn't. But, we weren't totally out of it. But yeah, and so so um, these are components of Kennyism, which I think is just essentially a Canadian. He was a Canadian emissary of the sort of conservatism of Reagan and yeah. and Thatcher that somewhat penetrated into Canada in the eighties with Brian Mulroney, mm-hmm. but um, Mulroney didn't go far enough for their liking, right? He introduced a new sales tax. Mm -hmm. He ran massive deficits. He opposed apartheid in South Africa, went like, and took way more credit for Mm -hmm. it than he deserved because he did it in like the 80s when like everyone was against apartheid. But um, 
Um, and, 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 and as a result of, of, of sort of Mulroney not taking this new right philosophy uh, far enough, there developed a split in the mm-hmm. federal conservative movement that sort of mirrored the one that happened in Alberta. The, old, the Reform later. Party. Remember the Reform Party. Stockwell Day. Right. <laughs> well, well, yeah. So, so the Reform Party is this populist right wing party that, while the Wild Rose in Alberta was like very rural based, mm-hmm. the Reform Party was very much a Western Canada phenomenon, yeah. right? And Ruggedness, America, you know, the same thing that Kenny represents, this sort of very American vision of individualism, uh, but expressed politically. But also, sort of paradoxically, this sort of collectivist, nationalist, um, moralistic, uh, hierarchical order that is framed around this individualism. Um, it, right. So uh, David Harvey, I think, puts it really well in his book on neoliberalism, this interplay between the the sort of neoliberal economics and neoconservative mm-hmm. social policy. And it's that the the social relations created by neoliberalism are like so chaotic and everyone is so uh, atomized that there needs to be something to sort of right after taking like a uh, 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 smashing like the vase of society you need to sort of glue it back together in a certain mm-hmm. way that keeps the structures of neoliberalism intact and that's where neoconservative com- neoconservatism comes in that gives sort of this this higher purpose yeah to neoliberalism right so it 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 it, it, it talks about this moral order yeah. and um you know law enforcing the law right what, the, what, the, these harsh criminal justice yeah. policies that Stephen Harper pursued um and um also uh i mean not all neocons are members of the religious right but yeah. the religious right finds very fertile ground in neoconservatism because again the the, the it venerates these inst- traditional institutions like yeah. the church or the monarchy or um the nation even right in in, in the american context and so the Reform Party comes around, and Jason Kenney, um, this is in the 1993 election, where mm-hmm. Brian Mulroney gets destroyed. Oh, well, he, he actually didn't run in that election. He handed the reins over to Kim Campbell. <laughs> yeah, she got destroyed, yeah. And then Jean Chrétien comes in as liberal, and being the 90s, he just implements this sort of neoliberal agenda. Yeah. Now, at this time, Jason Kenney was the... Uh, executive director of an organization called the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, which is sort of like he was almost like a Canadian Grover Norvquest. You know, like <laughs> he he just he he had just three talking points that he just hammered and, and was very media savvy um, in, in in getting attention. But it was just like we need to cut taxes, we need to eliminate government debt, and we need to fundamentally reduce the size of the state and uh the liberals ushered this in and 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 you saw governments across 
the political spectrum in Canada and the United States, even NDP governments in Manitoba, in Saskatchewan, again, accepting this logic that it's not the state's job to care for its citizens, that it's actually their own personal responsibility and the state needs to get out of the way. And, mm -hmm. um, but um, I think Kenny got bored after a bit of just hammering home this the these same talking points yeah and so he decides to run for the reform party which told him uh you know it allowed him to take the economic stuff but also uh talk about some of his other passions uh kenny is a devout roman catholic mm -hmm. very much uh involved in the pro-life movement in yes. the united states uh, he went to the University of San Francisco, actually, and um, was a leading figure in the university's uh, anti-abortion movement. He got the Women's Law Students Association banned from uh, tabling on campus because they were circulating a uh, pro-choice petition. And um, eventually they got allowed back because the ACLU got involved. And it's yeah. like... Like, yeah, you're a Catholic institution, but you're also a university. Like, people have a right to express opinions that go against the the sort of university's uh, founding message. But there's actually uh, an old... He, he was interviewed on CNN mm -hmm. when he was this young activist in San Francisco. And, and, and the Chiron said, Jason Kenney, anti-abortion activist, right? Yeah. Um, so he's and made his he, bones he on this cultural issue. Um, yeah. And and he talked about also bringing this sort of movement consciousness, what he called, to the conservative movement, to the conservative politics, I should say, in yeah. Canada that you see in the United States. Because Canadian um, conservative politics were quite a bit, they were, they were fairly secular, like way more secular than uh, American conservative politics were comparatively at that time for a while. And... I mean, still to this day, you know, they tried to run Andrew Scheer recently as like a new culturally conservative Christian guy, and it just totally failed. One, because he didn't have any charisma, and two, because Canada just generally fewer evangelicals, generally fewer people that, I mean, in America, that number is dwindling too, but it's still more prevalent over there than here. Yeah, I mean, Harper is himself an evangelical, but the I mean, the reason he was able to make this new conservative party um, that was the product of a merger between uh, the what was the Reform Party, but became the Canadian Alliance because they were trying to figure out how to spread their Right, because you essentially had a regional divide in yeah. in the nineties between the Eastern uh sort of more business establishment Tories yeah. who supported the progressive conservatives and the the Western Canadian more oil, um, new money, brash. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah more and, and more radical yeah. uh reform party yeah, more hyper-libertarian as well you know that sort of mentality yeah and but the pcs wouldn't were didn't want any part of this they're like no, no 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 we need to rebuild and we're the voice of the conservatives yeah. in canada and so there is this divide and so preston manning who is the leader of the reform party appointed jason kenney after he was elected in 1997 to figure out 
how to build this what was called the united alternative mm-hmm. to the liberals and a challenge there was that the liberals had essentially adopted uh reform's economic agenda yeah in the 1990s so it became a question of these cultural issues but these very cultural issues were seen as off-putting to, yeah. to sort of big city eastern yeah. canadian voters well in who 2004 just taxes, stephen right? harper ran against paul martin who is a terrible candidate but he ate shit to paul martin because he ran very heavily on gay mar- uh, anti-gay marriage stuff and that was like a turnoff for the majority of canadian federal voters so right and also jason kenney was actually a big like the 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 liberals hammered on him in particular and some other like-minded conservative mps because he was openly anti-abortion right he would speak at the march to life for life in in ottawa and uh uh but basically so because the progressive conservatives weren't willing to just sort of merge with reform, which was bigger at the time and would have swallowed them whole. They decided, okay, well, we should rebrand our party to the Canadian Alliance. Yeah. And thinking that that would sort of uh, remove the, the sort of Western Canadian uh, regionalist connotation with yeah. reform and maybe expand some support into Eastern Canada. They got Stockwell Day as the first leader of the Canadian Alliance, who Kenny was the most enthusiastic backer of his Stockwell Day. (laughs) Failure! Loser! (laughs) Crazy, crazy guy. I I mean, he uh, tried to... So he was uh, the provincial treasurer in, in Alberta's government in the 90s under a guy named Ralph Klein, who was like probably the most aggressively neoliberal premier in Canada time, save for maybe Mike Harris in mm-hmm. Ontario. Um, but, but he wasn't just a neoliberal, right? He was like Kenny, a culture warrior. He tried to get the, the conserv- the progressive conservative party in Alberta that he was a part of to vote in favor of like delisting abortion from uh healthcare coverage mm-hmm. public healthcare coverage uh which he was unsuccessful in doing he uh, he was he represented a, a district in red deer which is between edmonton and calgary and it's like the fourth largest city in alberta yeah. but for a long time it's, it's basically a truck stop it's the world's largest truck yeah. stop yeah it is uh, yeah it, pretty much yeah. um uh, donut mill if you're ever in red deer highly recommend um but he tried to get of mice and men banned from uh, <laughs> uh why why from that school one? libraries <laughs> in red deer for obscenity what um i guess he like he, a guy jacks off with like a, a glove full of lube in it or whatever but doesn't yeah. he? I don't remember he, that book very well. Clearly, he didn't. He didn't believe in dinosaurs. Yeah, uh, big cultural uh, warrior right? guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, my favorite uh, was actually he had to settle out of court with a criminal defense lawyer in Red Deer who defended someone who was accused of possessing child pornography because Stockwell Day wrote a letter to the newspaper saying that this lawyer supports legalizing child pornography. Oh. Um, Yeah. Um, 
That's sort and, of defamatory. But, <laughs> That's a little yeah. defamatory. <laughs> yeah, more than and, and so Day was, and the government had to settle out of court with this lawyer while he was the leader of the alliance. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of Day uh, was very much kindred spirits with Kenny because in addition to having all this social conservative uh, baggage, he was also like an aggressive neoliberal ideologue uh he when he was the treasurer in alberta they introduced a flat tax right where everyone just pays the same tax rate whether rich or poor uh which uh, it was actually in 2015 the ndp uh created a progressive income tax system um uh but um so so but but day couldn't get across the finish line yeah too much too uh, extreme too like a much of a smiling asshole you know he just he didn't have yeah yeah he didn't have it but he was very charismatic he sort of had this preacher uh swagger um and so that didn't work so he loses the 2000 election to kretchen again and then it's like back to the drawing board okay how are we gonna get conservative unity and Basically, at the same time, they're having this leadership race Mm -hmm. to get a new um, Canadian Alliance leader. And Stephen Harper, who was Mm -hmm. one of the original reform MPs elected, Mm -hmm. who quit before the 97 election that where Kenny was elected for the first time was like, I'm going to come back to politics and here's what I'm, I'm going to run a tight ship here. We're not you're, like, if you're a social conservative, yeah, you can say whatever you want, but I'm not acting on it. I'm not going to legislate yeah. on those issues. It he turns issues all off. culture war. He does it. He pulls a Clinton yeah. in the nineties and doesn't it's the economy stupid essentially. Uh, where even though the economy under Martin wasn't doing badly at all, you know, Harper can still say, oh, you can cut taxes, you know, you can like. Uh, yeah. Well, Martin, actually, it's interesting because he was only prime minister for two years and yeah. he was Kretchen's finance minister during the, the most brutal austerity that we're still dealing with the after effects of, especially yeah. when it comes to, say, our healthcare system and housing. Um, and. He started taking steps to sort of uh, dial back a bit, bit of that when he was prime minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was elected in 2004 yeah. with a minority government. Um, so he worked with the NDP and the separatist uh, sort of weird economically nationalist, but also very xenophobic uh, mm-hmm. Bloc Québécois party. Um, to sort of maybe smooth off the edges of the neoliberal agenda he pursued. But before that, uh, the Alliance has this leadership race and Harper comes to power. Um, and again, he, he wisely is picking his battles. He's focusing on economics, cutting taxes, mm-hmm. right? And also uh, taking a, a very hardline neoconservative positions on foreign policy right this is the age of the war on terror in the iraq war um and uh i mean harper's a hardcore zionist Mm -hmm. um right uh i mean probably more even more hardcore than like george w bush right Mm -hmm. and 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 um he in in a very symbolic gesture, he appoints Stockwell Day as his 
critic for foreign affairs, right? So he lets Stockway, Stockwell Day do his whole neocon thing when it comes to foreign affairs. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, so talk about how much you love like American power in Israel and you know so he d- didn't end up talking about abortion um and uh he had kenny also in charge of canadian american relations and then i believe it was a a, a a finance portfolio um demonstrating how his his, his priority and, and and so in 2004 yes the liberals were able to stave off the conservatives though the conservatives ate into their support a lot and mm-hmm. did grow its support in Eastern Canada because basically Peter McKay was elected the leader of the old PCs. Mm -hmm. And even though he promised he wouldn't merge with the Canadian Alliance right after getting elected, he answers talks to merge with the Canadian Alliance and McKay shared, um, the alliance's positions on foreign policy Mm -hmm. issues, um, at the time, like support for the Iraq war, um, and so they merge, create the Conservative Party of Canada, and then Harper forms government in 2006. Now, where Jason Kenney really steps in is, if you go back to the old PCs of Brian Mulroney, right? He, mm-hmm. he won the biggest majority government in Canadian history in 1984, um, and then won also a significant majority yeah. in 88 when Posting he ran off on- Reagan stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he ran on NAFTA. Yeah. Or, but it wasn't NAFTA at the time, right? It was GATT. But it became NAFTA and then was imp- implemented by Jean Chrétien. But Mulroney's electoral success was because he was able to build this nationwide coalition of like soft Quebec nationalists, business elites mm-hmm. in like Toronto, in Montreal, right? Like yeah. big city, like business people. And also uh, Western populists. Yeah. Right. That coalition all came apart in the 1993 election. The soft, the Quebec nationalists voted for uh, the Bloc Québécois. The Western populists voted for reform. And a lot of, and then he was left with Eastern Canadian business elites who, many of whom just voted liberal. Yeah. Right. And so... The conservatives could get, though, the business elites back by leaving behind all the culture war baggage. They could get the Western populace back on board by pandering to uh, the oil and gas industry and sort of having, uh, sort of loosening uh, the relations between the federal government and the provinces. The well, Quebec nationalists, Quebec though, no, they'll never get them they back couldn't. again. <laughs> no, they couldn't because their agenda of austerity just does, doesn't fly with Quebec's political culture. Yeah. So it, it was Kenny's They're idea. They're French. They expect a certain amount of you know government <laughs> assistance. You know? Yeah. Um, and, to and, be, and, to and, be and mildly and, stereotypical. And, and that's always uh, been a, a grievance of sort of more separatist-inclined Albertans, mm-hmm. was that Quebec gets all the special treatment. Why don't we? Why don't we? What? Are we not a unique culture in Canada? And it's like, not really. No, no. But, 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 but uh, certainly not to the extent Quebec is. I mean, you speak the same language, you 
right? Like, yeah, but they got um, cowboy. They got Nickelback. You know, other provinces <laughs> don't have Nickelback. You know. But but in in any event, uh, so Kenny's real innovation with Harper government, and this was key to Harper getting this majority government in 2011, yeah. was reaching out to conservative elements in various uh, ethno-cultural and immigrant communities, mm. which have just been dismissed as they're not going to vote conservative there because they see us as anti-immigrant. Yeah, which I that's mean, the, stupid because lower won. taxes literally appeals to everyone. You can get that's a good argument to any group. Of exactly. People. Yeah. And law and order policies, oh, right? Yeah. Like harsh criminal justice measures, and so Kenny made an effort to actually show up because conservatives just weren't showing up to these cultural events. And so the natural party for immigrants was the liberals or Mm -hmm. the new Democrats, right? And Kenny worked really hard in making those connections with uh, conservative elements in various communities, Chinese Canadian community, the Indo-Canadian community, the uh, Sikh Canadian community. Yeah, sure, yeah. There are, um, as long as there are businessmen in these communities, and there always are, they're going to be amenable to conservatism, you know? Yeah, and Eastern European oh, yeah, immigrant yeah, yeah. communities, too. Because the, the, the Victims of Communism Memorial in Ottawa <laughs> that is still getting built, and its budget is the only Nazi, increasing. The Nazi monument, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Kenny's idea. Of course. <laughs> And, and, you know, the, the sort of right-wing Ukrainian and Czech mm-hmm. diaspora communities, not to mention Chinese mm-hmm. and uh, Tibetan, they, that was a, a, a really smart move to sort of enfold them in this project. Because yeah. basically a lot of these immigrant communities are concentrated in districts, suburban districts outside of Toronto and Vancouver. Right. Yeah. Where you could likely the, you won't in in the inner city you can't get enough of these people to to flip the the riding. But you get in the exurban places in the suburban and exurban places it's always more fifty fifty between the libs and the conservatives. Right. Like places like Brampton. Yeah. Right near where you live in Mississauga. Yeah. Vaughn. Um, uh, uh, Vaughn. Barry. Maybe not Barry. Yeah, Barry's a little whiter. Yeah, but 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 I, though, right, like yeah, Scarborough, uh, also Scarborough, yeah. Etobicoke, yeah. which uh, Rob Ford, our famous yeah. uh, crack smoking mayor, did a similar thing, yeah. right? He like immigrant communities who shared his sort of social conservative. So what you're like, saying is we should blame immigrants for Jason. Gen- <laughs> no, obviously not. But well, this was part of the strategy. This was an actual thing that he did to, to win. So, and, and it worked. Yeah. And, and at the same time, though, interestingly, he was Harper's citizenship and immigration minister. Mm-hmm. And he increased immigration, right? And that's, I think, a, a big difference one of the few differences I would argue between the sort of old new right mm-hmm. of like Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher yeah, and very the new new right of yeah. Donald Trump is that he's pro-immigrant. It was just a specific type of immigrant, right? This invitation, this invitational approach he took was conditional. Yeah, it was if you conform to what we regard as being a good Canadian, welcome to the team. Yeah. If you don't, 
if you're um then forget about it and a good example of this um is the way I, they um they cut funding for the Canadian Arab Federation mm-hmm. uh because their leader uh called Kenny and Harper, well, you call, I think it was Kenny in particular, a son of a whore for, <laughs> or something. Great. Son of, for uh, his staunch support of Israel. Yeah. Because uh, traditionally, Canada did sort of what Trudeau's doing now, but mm. uh, to an even greater extent, in like pretended to take this neutral approach yeah. while actually supporting Israel. Indeed, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, Justin's dad, was actually one of the first Western leaders to visit. Is it uh, the occupied West Bank? Yeah. Um, in the 1970s or 80s, right? Yeah. Um, and so they were just shut out of fold. And uh, f- again, a huge like asterisk on this this ethno cultural outreach strategy was the Arab and Muslim communities, which were seen as just unwinnable. Yeah. Um. Uh, for for you know, for the most part, there, yeah. not that there aren't conservative elements in there. In but yeah, I mean, I, around I think, that time, just culture had become violently murderous against all Arabs and Muslims. So it's like, yeah, they they need to yeah those whether but, they're but conservative also, or not, they'll go with the party that's not advocating for their deaths. Yeah, and they didn't. The conservatives didn't need them anyways, right? Yeah. Because they were trying to what this conser- longtime conservative strategist and child porn apologist uh, Tom Flanagan, <laughs> he's a professor at the University of Calgary, which is sort of I I interviewed him for the book. Like he's uh, he's a smart guy, also horrible anti-indigenous uh, yeah. bigot. But um, he knows a lot about, like, internal conservative politics. And, uh, the, you know, the University of Calgary is like Canada's University of Chicago, I would yeah. say. And I, I drew that comparison to him, and he was uh, quite flattered. But he has this, he <laughs> had this idea. You mean we can? You, was, think, you think we can throw people out of helicopters, too? You really think so? Uh, you know. Jeez, yeah. I never thought of it that way. We could do a coup all by ourselves as well. <laughs> Ah, geez, the scrappy Canadian unit. Yeah, sorry, sorry. go on. What, what did he say um, about Kenny? Well, he, 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 so he was Harper, like, he was Harper's chief of staff, like, early on. Yeah. And then had some falling out with him, I think, in part to do with the fact that he wrote a book about, like, Harper's strategy uh, um, yeah. that wasn't totally uh, sycophantic towards Harper. Yeah. Um, but in any event, he his he had this idea of creating this minimum winning coalition. Yeah, that you need enough votes to win, mm-hmm. but you don't want so many votes. You don't want too many votes where you have to deal with competing interests in your right. coalition, right? So if you're getting like say Hindu nationalists, yeah, support in in Zionists, both Jewish and Christian, yeah. Then, if you have Muslims as part of your coalition, that creates competing demands, and yeah. and and that will weaken your coalition, right? So you need this, you need the maximum minimum mm-hmm. support to to yeah. to win people right? within sort and of so- a narrow purview of political ideology that can be counted on to go on with every right. piece of legislation that you propose, you know. Yeah, but but on citizenship and immigration policy, what Kenny started doing was tying immigration to 
employability. Mm. So it's like, okay, we need jobs in these fields. If you're an immigrant who's educate, who has like works in these fields, we will put you at the front of the queue for permanent residency. We'll mm. fast track you for permanent residency. If you're a, a, a tech bro who's uh, having visa issues from India, mm-hmm. who's having visa issues in the States, we want you to come to Canada. Again, we'll fast track you to permanent residence. Yeah. Meanwhile, when it came to refugees and asylum seekers, Kenny was putting up barriers to bringing them into the country. Yeah. By uh, and, and just the rhetoric he was using of calling them Q jumpers, uh, <laughs> bogus refugees. Yeah. Because right, you you have a right to seek asylum in a country. Yeah. In in Canada, not any country, of course, but um, and. If you don't get asylum, it's not necessarily because you're making shit up. It might be because your papers aren't in order, right? There are various reasons. And so he took a very draconian approach to immigrants, not just in rhetoric, but also in deed, while centralizing uh, power in the ministry to be able to deem uh, certain arrivals to be... um, threats to public safety and allowing the police yeah. to intern them obviously this would um, without be used a lot them. against you know muslims or any sort of you know yeah but it was actually used most prominently against uh tamil refugees remember there oh, were two wow. boatloads of tamil refugees who came to canada in like 2010 fleeing the the violence in in sri lanka yeah and again it was just like these people are terrorists. These people could be terrorists. We need yeah. to. We need measures to deal with them, right? We're not. What What use are they to us, yeah. right? They're, the, what economic? They what do you produce? So, what do you make? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and I think that's a big part of the the, the sort of interplay between neoconservatism and neoliberalism mm-hmm. that you see with a figure like Kenny, right? Because it's all about. Yes, the mar- the, the immigration should fuel market needs right Mm. but also we're going to use the power of the state against those who we deem outside of that uh the processes there is ever so slightly more an ethnic cleansing aspect to neoconservatism than uh, yes yes of course and um at the same time uh he cut healthcare benefits for uh refugee claimants mm-hmm. uh saying why are we giving these bogus refugees better healthcare than most Canadians receive right because they the the the, the things that we were talking about that are excluded from public healthcare in Canada mm-hmm. uh, refugee claimants get right like d- dental care eye care um all, all all these sorts of things and and and, and he presented it as sort of oh the, the, this is like premium healthcare where they need it for but sometimes eye care and dental care can be life-saving oh right? yeah of course you need uh, yeah th- yeah these luxury bones in my mouth as the famous tweet goes yeah these <laughs> you know uh yeah obviously like if you have bad teeth you can get a fucking heart attack from it so yeah you need you need and, and, health care dental health care and and so he was increasing deportations, especially targeting like temporary foreign workers who overstayed mm-hmm. 
because um, the temporary foreign worker program is like the ultimate. It, it's the, free money. Like, it's, the, it's free real estate. It's like you get yeah. such cheap labor from it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, these employers get to decide who gets to come to this country and they can stay and they can stay as long as the employer needs them. And then once the employer needs them, they have to leave for, um, I think it was like in for two years out for, I think two years in two years out was what Kenny instituted. But then really when Harper got the majority government, that was when he went full throttle. So he cut healthcare funding for refugee claimants. Mm -hmm. He created in in terms of centralizing power uh, in the minister's office, he created a list of what he called designated safe countries. Mm-hmm. That if you seek asylum from these countries, you get one chance at the Immigration and Refugee Board. If they deny your application, you have to leave the country. Yeah. You can't appeal. The only avenue for appeal is in federal court. But while you prepare for that appeal, you have to leave. Yeah. Right. And, and just to be clear, and, all of these policies that were implemented by Kenny, like these are still exist to this day, right? The, the liberals, well, have they uh, softened uh, it a uh, little uh, I'll get that to a moment. So refugees, they did bring back health care for, for refugee claims because okay. that was declared constitution, unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. Good. <laughs> and so that was an easy, easy W for, yeah. for Trudeau in his early days yeah. when he was like popular and promising this new style. He le- just politics. legalized weed. You know, he was, you know, it was he was and that was it for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in, in this policy was also reversed by Trudeau because it was also declared unconstitutional. But so he created this two tiered asylum seeking process. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were from this list of countries that are determined by Jason Kenney to be safe, mm-hmm. then again, you get one shot and then you have to fuck off. Yeah. And the list of these countries were all like geopolitical allies of yeah. Canada, right? And they include countries like Mexico. But, yeah. And there are stories. In the Toronto Star about people who were denied asylum in Canada and went back to Mexico and got murdered, right? Yeah. Um, well, and, think and, about and how by this... cartels because because the adjudicator at the Immigration and Refugee Board was like, yeah, like you say you're at risk from cartel violence, but you can just move to another part of Mexico, mm-hmm. like that type of logic. Yeah, um, and, and and Kenny leaned very heavily on the adjudicators to reach the outcome he wanted which mm-hmm. was to have less refugee claimants right yeah um um and he talked about how there's this mass immigration fraud yeah. happening in canada and he announced that he was stripping the citizenship yeah. of like thousands of 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 of, of fake citizens yeah. who don't actually well, this kind and, of policy, even though it has like roots in America too, sort of almost a precursor to Trump's Muslim ban when you think about it. Or like if if I mean, what's really interesting about Kenny in a sense, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, I I find what's intro or like how I'm putting the the stuff together on this, like the broader story about him or why he is such this pivotal or interesting figure, not just in Canadian political history, but in general, is he's sort of this singular figure between, like you said, the old guard of the new right of Reagan and the new guard of Donald Trump. You know, this thing of like economic elitist based 
politics versus clown fascism. And he is this sort of marriage in between those two things where it's like, I mean, the thing that differentiates the clown fascists most from the neocons is nominally they are anti, um, they're uh, anti uh, uh, invasive foreign policy. They're anti, uh, what, what not, Im- I'm trying to think of the word for it, intervention. They're anti-interventionists. Yeah, right? I, but I mean, in, so, in some ways. Yeah, in, in a practical sense, they're not anti-interventionists. But I think the largest thing that really differentiates besides, uh, the, and the other thing too, is the extreme focus on cultural issues versus the focus on uh, previous <laughs> economic issues. And sort of, Kenny right. was this guy who, you know, post-Harper, post the failure of this only focus on economic issues, sort of returns to his Catholic roots. And But we're, we're going to get to that event. We haven't even got to provincial Kenny yet. You know, we're still in federal Kenny. Right. Yeah. Right. And so Kenny represented a district or, or riding in, in Calgary, but he didn't spend a lot of time there because he was busy doing this ethnocultural outreach mm-hmm. uh, in sort of the suburbs of Toronto in Vancouver, mm-hmm. while at the same time keeping pitting sort of more established immigrants who are welcome to the conservative fold with these scary uh, refugee claimants, right, mm-hmm. that would be swiftly deported. And one of the countries he listed as a safe country was Hungary, which at the time had this... Uh, <laughs> like Victor, it wasn't Orban's Hungary. This is it? pre-Orban, okay. but the, the forces that propelled Orban to power were growing, and they were um, at- attacking Roma people. Yeah. And uh, Kenya was just like, eh, don't see it. It's a democracy. What are you talking about? Yeah. And he actually, his government, this is one of the most uh, sinister things I think Kenny did in his career. Mm-hmm. His government spent money well, not, Harper's government that Kenny was a part of spent money to put up billboards at this Roma uh, village in, in in Hungary, where a lot of asylum claimants were were coming from, telling them if you want to come to Canada, you you, you better have a good reason to, because we will deport you swiftly if you don't. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. that's very. Uh, nightmarish and post-apocalyptic. But it was the the contradictions of this sort of conditional acceptance of immigrant communities really became insurmountable in the 2015 election when Kenny and Harper were talking about creating a a snitch line to call in barbaric cultural practices. The, the refugee policies, when you had people dying at sea, trying to come from Syria to Turkey and then get to countries like Canada. Um, it, 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 it couldn't, uh, sustain itself. Uh, Kenny also tried to ban a uh, woman from wearing a niqab during a citizenship mm-hmm. ceremony, during citizenship ceremonies, arguing yeah. that that could be anyone under the niqab, right? Yeah. And, cultural and, and, issues and so, inevitably killed Harper's. I mean, actually, well, cultural and economic issues killed Harper's. But, you know, that's what happened is oil started going down. He couldn't run on economic issues anymore. So it's like, okay, we have to start doing the culture war stuff, you know? Right. And, yeah. And, 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 uh, and, 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 and yeah, it just wasn't, it was, it was, Trudeau was able to win back those suburban communities yeah. that Kenny worked so hard to cultivate. 
And then... Um, in huge fashion. Like, the 2014 election was a fucking... 2015 election? 2015 election. When yeah, was, 2015. Yeah, he was, it was a fucking bloodbath for the conservatives. Yeah, was, and this was six months after Notley wins in Alberta. Yeah. Right? And so Kenny, now, what he could have done is what Polyev ended up doing, and that is just kind of keep a relatively low profile in Ottawa while building up this, like, social media audience while Trudeau is popular. And then run for the conservative leadership once you've built up this big following. Mm -hmm. And Trudeau is uh really going through what harper did in 2015 people are just tired of it yeah and Um, he's just had too many recent failures you know you can't praise a nazi in parliament you know (laughs) and you know people don't he's not the biggest problem in canada right now is obviously housing and there's nothing or the one that affects everyone i think or the one that wants you know is housing subsidy yeah and and polyev is hammering on that and again i think this 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 comes to another key concept that i think becomes increasingly important when we talk about alberta is that polyev is using this this populist rhetoric Mm -hmm. of speaking on you know, common sense on yeah. behalf of the masses who can't afford a home in service of the very neoliberal policies mm-hmm. that will only make the matter worse, right? His yeah. solution to the housing crisis is just let's stop printing money and build more houses. <laughs> and it's like, there's like, and, and housing really shows where this, this, these neoliberal assumptions of mm-hmm. supply and demand and just letting the market find this equilibrium don't work. Because if you look at, like, here in Edmonton, and especially in Calgary, in, over the past year, they've been constructing a lot more housing. Yet the proportion of housing that's affordable, as in 30% of the lowest income bracket, mm-hmm costing no more than 30% of lowest income bracket is declining, even though supply is increasing. Yeah. And so obviously the neoliberal ideologue says, no, 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 that's just because we need even more supply. Yes. Right. Um, uh, supply side economics. This didn't, uh, this didn't hurt our economy <laughs> at all in any way. This didn't have profound long lasting effects for the, the North American economy in any way. I'll just uh, yeah. wait for it. I mean, that's the other thing with Polly Everett, too, is he is the full, he is our clown fascist. We finally arrived at our clown, we, it took a while, but we finally got our own melee. We finally got our own Bolsonaro. We finally got our, yeah. yeah. And Kenny it, is It this, always happens, yeah. it always happens about, like, eight years after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're late to, we're late yeah. to the party on everything, but... Uh, yeah, and I mean, I'm very scared that Polly Everett is going to win the next election. Um, because I mean, oh, he's for sure going to win. Yeah, I mean, he's mirroring what Danielle Smith, who we talked about earlier, and she's also like running the wave of clown fascism as well. Um, you know, they've gotten yeah, very... and, 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 and and you know, Kenny now, I, you know, he does a few select interviews here and there, mm-hmm. always with a very friendly audience who isn't going to ask him any uh, difficult questions. Um, and he just he he acts as if he's totally s- separate from this modern uh, conservative populist moment that yeah. he derides as populism with a snarl. Yeah. But 
when he comes back to Alberta in 2016, he's like, all right, I helped, I played a key role in uniting the right in Canada and also shifting the political discourse rightwards. Like, yes, Trudeau did eliminate the worst excesses of Kenny's immigration reforms. But the basic structure is kept intact. And, yeah. and we see that now with so Canada, we let in unlimited Ukrainian refugees, right? Didn't mm-hmm. like no vetting or anything. <laughs> Just if you're Ukrainian and you're fleeing violence, come. Yeah. Uh, one here, too, letting in a thousand Palestinians from Gaza, mm-hmm. forcing them to go through a vetting process that immigration lawyers say they've never seen before for any other group of people and out of a thousand spots for palestinians from gaza yeah zero Mm. have even there have been like 900 applications zero of these applications have even like made it through the vetting process right we we still have a very conservative immigration policy yeah yeah uh, very much so. And, and, and temporary foreign workers are still getting deported. Oh, yeah. If they overstay, they're welcome. Uh, and I mean, in, in, during the pandemic, I mean, they became this like underclass of people who couldn't afford to lock down. They're the only ones in that underclass. Yeah. But 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 um, okay. so at this point of the story, uniquely precarious. Right. Yeah. At this point of the story, we're out of the federal government. Notley is elected in Alberta. She's sort of fucking up. And or like she's just not doing anything effective to convince people that they should reelect her again. And uh, Kenny sees an opportunity. Uh, what's he doing around for the two years between when Harper gets shit canned and when he wins the not two years, three years between when does when does Kenny win? Uh, the four years, election? actually. It's yeah. 2019. Yeah. Well, he's back in Alberta. He 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 comes back to Alberta where he didn't spend a lot of time when he he was in, uh, in federal government. Slaps on a cowboy hat. <laughs> seriously, seriously, yeah. wears like uh you know jeans and a cowboy hat. Gets a a, a blue big blue Dodge Ram. Yeah, and 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 and, and, and starts touring across. Alberta, particularly rural Alberta, places that the NDP even back then had totally um, discounted. Like, yeah, we won them in a fluke. We're not going to win them again. Who cares? And yeah. I think part of it is they they actually they introduced farm safety legislation that opposed that imposed basic labor protections yeah. on farms in Alberta, but. It was, they just sort of imposed, they did, there wasn't really a strong consultative process and it was just sort of, uh, foisted upon these, these farmers. Uh, and it was very, it was a huge, uh, failure of communication for a policy that is, uh, eminent, but that I think also made them want to like back off from yeah. like rural Alberta and just not deal with them. And Kenny, anymore. whatever he is, he's good at picking up people that have been yeah. left behind by uh, the establishment. Right, exactly. He uses this faux populism. He takes yeah. this legitimate anger people have, especially with in Alberta, people are losing jobs in the tar sands and channeling it elsewhere. Yeah. 
right? Telling people that, no, 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 no. This isn't because the oil and gas industry have sucked you dry for decades and has been benefited from immense government largesse at your expense. Something the NDP could have articulated, but didn't. They did a little bit in the 2015 election campaign. Like, it's actually funny if you read the Notley campaign's literature from 2015, attacking the conservatives for being like, like, they... They're like obsessed with building pipelines so they can ship your jobs to these refineries in Texas. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it was, it was, it, and, and, and talking about the need to diversify the mm-hmm. economy. So, yes, of course, we have oil and gas. Um, and I mean, at that time, we were nowhere near peak oil like we are mm-hmm. now. So it was like, a, okay, you do a little oil and gas, you invest in solar and wind and other mm-hmm. renewables and like, okay. But they didn't, again, there's, they could have pursued a transition mm-hmm. as opposed to just putting in a framework and being like, okay, let the market mm-hmm. sort it out. Um by the way, so Kenny's touring. He, so and this is when you're in o- Alberta too. This is when you first moved to Alberta. Right? Yeah. So I moved to Alberta in February 2017 yeah. when Kenny is near the beginning of this process. So the first step of his plan was to run for the leadership of the PCs because they were out of a leader because Jim Prentice ate shit in the 2015 election to Rachel Notley. They were looking for a new leader. And so Kenny decided he was going to run for the leadership on an explicit, his own, the only part of his platform, the only thing in his platform was we're going to unite with the Wild Rose. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and pretty so good. Build that. a coalition. He's trying to do Canadian Alliance again. He's he's doing Canadian Alliance again, exactly, but for Alberta exactly. And skip it. And so Tom Flanagan, who I mentioned before, actually was initially skeptical of of this idea because he was like, if you you look in the federal scene, this was a long process to unite the right. Like you're not going to be able to do this in three years. Yeah, because Kenny comes back to Alberta in 2016. And he, I mean, especially with the idea that you need to get the minimum amount of like a coalition agreeing on because the wild rose and like the conservatives have some pretty have some key issues that they differ on. So uh, especially like in terms of cultural issues. So that's like uh, that's sort of a breaking of Flanagan strategy. Right. That's sort of a uh, but he does it anyway. Right. And it, it works for a time. Yeah, and and so he uh, a month after I moved to Whitecourt, actually he was in Whitecourt as part of this unity tour uh, he had, where he claimed that he was just crashing on the couches of supporters. <laughs> sure, in, in in rural Alberta, he's just a little and, boy. He's just you know he's just a good old boy. He's he doesn't have no fancy hotels or nothing. You know he's wearing a cowboy. He's sleeping. He's rambling. You know he's Kenny. He's rambling right now. And, and and so I actually mi- had missed the opportunity when he came through White Court like a month or two before I moved down there. Um, uh, but basically, so he took this legitimate anger and frustration that many Albertans were having and, again, used it, tar- reoriented it towards the federal government, which is exploiting Alberta because it is taking our oil wealth mm-hmm. and redistributing it to provinces. Because Canada has the system of equalization where basically they take 
revenue raised from income taxes across the country and then redistribute it to provinces that are lower income so they can have so canadians across the country can have access to the same yeah at least like a base level of social services yeah um and um so he was talking about how this was this injustice even though he was part of the government that wrote the existing yeah. formula and, and <laughs> that 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 is a sharp contrast he's railing against the federal government in these elites in ottawa and it's like bro mm-hmm. what what were you doing for yeah, the past yeah you made the years? sandwich yeah you made the it's the subway yeah, yeah, sandwich yeah. you made the you made the freaking sandwich man yeah and um and then but but also that not just because that i mean this alberta uh the federal government were under attack from the 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 central canadian elites i mean that is an old story in alberta that goes way back to like even the 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 united farmers yeah alliance were 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 speaking in those terms right yeah ontario versus everyone (laughs) yeah it's part it's part of alberta's political culture but what he did was, I mean, he approached this with a unique zeal that depicted his political opponents, the NDP, as being in cahoots with the federal government, which, I mean, they were working together on climate policy, right? Yeah. All, explains why Trudeau's climate policies have been such shit. Yeah. Uh, it, um, and so you would talk about the Trudeau Notley Alliance. Yeah. And then in the last election, Danielle Smith, who we'll get back to shortly, who's now the premier of Alberta, yeah. uh, talked about the Trudeau Notley Singh Alliance because of this arrangement the, mm-hmm. the federal NDP and liberals have. Yeah. Singh being Jagmeet Singh. Yeah. The and the idea NDP. was that they were using this alliance to scupper the interests of Albertans in favor of shipping their oil money out towards uh, equalizing the provinces. Right. And and they would all another a big part of this equalization grievance is to talk is the fact that Quebec is like even the right wing Quebec government is very um anti oil. Yeah. Right? I mean they have a lot of they get their power from hydro, right? Yeah. And 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 they that they, they there there was a proposed pipeline under Harper, the 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 energy east that would have shipped oil from alberta to the east coast Mm -hmm. that got kiboshed because quebec was like yeah no we don't want that Mm -hmm. we don't want your dirty oil (laughs) um so they would say that this again this money is being taken from hard-working albertans which is only they would say kenny said that it was being taken from alberta yeah and given to Quebec for them to oppose pipelines. Yeah, it's the but classic I'll, Brexit pro- line, you know, they're taking the European, they're taking the profits. Think of how much we could get back to the NHS if the goddamn, you know, exactly. Czech people weren't taking the and, and this, and, and when this is happening, 2016, this is the time of Brexit yeah. and Trump, right? Yeah, he's running and, on this and, new wave of like this new exciting wave of, ooh, this is something, even though it's the same shit, it's packaged differently. And that's yeah, enough it, to get people excited again. And, 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 and part, 
a big part of this is it's not just Trudeau and Notley. There's actually this global cabal of billionaires <laughs> yeah. funding environmentalist activism against the tar sands yeah. to turn Alberta into what you called the whipping boy of Canada. Yeah, it's a very right? Alex Jonesy rhetoric, which is also why he sort of yeah. represents this connection, this bridge between clown fascism and neoconservatism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and um um yeah, uh, and, and and yeah, and so um he would again the NDP were engaged in these futile efforts to sort of get industry and environmentalists on board with its like milk toast climate policy. So to that effect, at the request of the oil industry, they brought on a famous uh, BC environmentalist, Sipora Berman, to work with a long-term policy on the tar sands, mm -hmm. to work with on a long-term policy for the tar sands. And Kenny used the presence of Tsipora Berman at the like negotiating table with the government and industry to be like, see, Tsipora Berman, right? And Tsipora Berman is like, yeah, no more pipelines, right? She she was like a direct action mm -hmm. uh, activist in, in, in BC who was at that phase in her career trying to, because climate policy was at a standstill in Canada, mm -hmm. to try and find some pragmatic approach that would at least move us in the right direction. And I think that was one, she was one of the best interviews in the book because mm -hmm. she was like, to me, yeah, you know what? It was a waste of time. I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. But what Kenny did and what his friends it, at Rebel News, right? Like Ezra Levant, mm -hmm. who uh, goes way back with Kenny uh, to their days in the Reform Party, yeah. right? And is um, also Kenny somebody that pushes, you know, Canadian conservatism towards the Trumpism, towards uh, uh, he, he realizes that that's the way to go now. And he becomes like the leading media figure for people like Lauren Southern or people like Gavin McInnes to have a platform. Yeah. And and so he was like somewhat cast out of polite society. Um, but he wrote a book in 2010 called Ethical Oil that was like hugely influential in shaping the Harper government's communications around the oil and gas industry. That was really a precursor to this narrative that these uh, foreign funded environmentalists are essentially engaged in treason against Alberta. Yeah. Right. It's so and, funny because it's and, like a provincial nationalism. It's not even national because it's like you hating the rest of Canada. So yeah. it's, I mean. But I mean, yeah. separatist attitudes in Alberta were on, on, on the upswing and were, of course, fueled by this 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 sort of populism from above that, that Kenny practiced, yeah. right? Like, I think... 20% of Albertans were like, oh, maybe it's a good idea to separate from Canada. I would have to consider it. And, you know, that was dismissed in by pollsters and the media as only 20%. But that's a lot that's of a people. That's a lot of people. Yeah, one out of every five people who's like, yeah, I think we should, you know, get rid of, you know, put up some wire fence. I think we should make Alberta in into the zone of interest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Kenny astutely... 
seized on that and did the very classic uh, dog whistle style politics. Where yeah. It's like a lot of people are thinking of separating from Canada. Not me. I, I would never. I and and I mean Kenny. And the thing being the the champion of the separatist voices is this is a guy who loves the monarchy, <laughs> the Roman Catholic Church, and all these very traditional um, institutions of power yeah. that can provide this sort of higher moral purpose to the the very I think nihilistic policies that he promotes Mm -hmm. or promoted and um so he went on this personal vendetta against sepora burton i mean he was obsessed with her Mm -hmm. and she was just getting torrents of misogynistic and anti-semitic abuse Mm -hmm. that were clearly coming from this but again it would it it was type thing where it'd start in rebel news Mm -hmm. then it would make its way into the national post and then Kenny would be like, well, a lot of people are saying, you know. A lot of people are saying the Sephora uh, Berman, you know, she has horns. You know, I'm not saying that. <laughs> but, you know, some people are saying Berman. I don't know if I can trust a name. Berman, what does that mean? You're going to put burrs on me? You're going to make me cold? You know what makes you warm? Oil. She doesn't like that. Which is another example of conditional acceptance, mm-hmm. right? Because Kenny, uh, I mean, the mainstream Jewish establishment, which is essentially just now uh an arm of the pro-israel lobby yeah. fucking love kenny and harper oh, yeah. right because they like them they're like israel is essentially perfect like yeah. israel's not perfect but it is yes that type of zionist yeah. talking point that we talked about in an earlier episode yeah um but if you're a jew like sepora berman then you're the wrong jew i mean it's that classic thing yeah. with the immigrants there are the right others and there are the wrong others and we like the right, right others but we don't like the wrong others yeah and i'm not like he didn't say anything anti-semitic about sepora berman but he also didn't say anything about the anti-semitic abuse that was coming her way because he made her this public yeah. target of uh of hatred yeah, of, of alberta um, Pepe's, she, of so, alberta gripers yeah, on her way to Edmonton once, she, Berman was assaulted at the airport. She was, like, grabbed and spat on by yeah. some, some like, oil bro who, again, was... <laughs> so uh, Kenny had, had fucking, like, um, fired up yeah. about the, that, that she's, you know... That she's it, telling it's to not take her, just it's that, a took-her-jobs thing. This Jewish lady took her jobs, you know? Yeah, because it's not just that he disagrees with the environmentalist policies or quasi-environmentalist policies of the NDP, that they're misguided, that they treat the threat too urgently. It's like, no, this is an attack on our fundamental identity and our ability to be prosperous, right? And, And so things like that were bound to happen. And eventually the NDP agreed with Sipora that she would step down and then, but but because she stepped down, she was going back to the activism, yeah. right? Trying to stop pipelines in BC. And anytime she would speak at a rally, Kenny would just post on social media, like, this is the person the NDP invited to talk about the fate of the oil sands, ignoring the fact that it was actually industry who thought that she would be a constructive uh, mm-hmm. interlocutor. Yeah. Right. And so. 
he drives, so basically a month after I arrive in Alberta, he wins the PC leadership. Um, one of the candidates, actually, one of the candidates running against him for the PC leadership, Sandra Jensen, actually dropped out of the leadership race and crossed the floor to the NDP ah. because, and, and this was in November 2016, this was around the time Trump was elected because she was like, he's bringing these Trumpian politics into Alberta. Now, I don't, this idea that, that the, this clown fascist movement yeah. that we've been talking about is like an American import is, no, it's in my view, yeah. yeah, it's literally everywhere. Modi, it's homegrown. It's uh, there. Marcos, uh, uh, previous yeah. Duterte, Bolsonaro, it's like uh, uh, Orban, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's, Geert Wilders, it, yeah. It's bubbling under the surface everywhere because clearly things are fundamentally broken and that a small amount of people are doing really well on the backs of everyone else. And because the institutional left refuses to identify a culprit and just talks about tweaking things a little bit in these rational focus group tested policy solutions, this, it makes it really easy for this populist right Mm -hmm. to seize on this on, on this anger always bubbling below the surface um and but but jensen is like yeah the ndp is actually the party now of the like pragmatic center yeah. and she wasn't wrong well the other um, why, reason why i say clown fascism or why it separates say something like um uh Previous iterations of sort of fascist conservative politics, like think about the the Rivers of Blood speech in the UK, Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech. Yeah. It used to be so much more overt and angry and like fire and brimstone rhetoric, whereas the revelation of somebody like Trump or Modi or Bolsonaro, whereas if you're sort of like a silly Mr. Bean type guy, nobody will notice or they won't notice as much about the terrible things of what you're saying. And like Kenny also sort of evinces that public attitude as well. The I'm just a little guy. I'm just a little birthday boy type of thing, you know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, But but he gets, yeah, he gets elected into the PC leadership in 2018. And right. And what, and, and, and then it's like, okay, we need to unite. Now, Brian Jean, yeah. who's the leader of the Wild Rose, who really like invigorated the party after Danielle Smith's betrayal, yeah. um, is like, no, don't want to do it. Yeah. Don't want to do it. But Der- a guy named Derek Fildebrandt, who is this young, hotshot, upstart, uh, Wild Rose uh, member of the legislature, was, was at the same time going all in and mobilizing in favor of unity. He's like, yes, this is what needs to happen. We need, like, if we don't want the NDP to get reelected, we need to unite with the PCs. And in doing so, and, and Fildebrandt is like a, a, a libertarian type. Uh, his political career was tragically uh, ended shortly after a series of scandals, which included... Uh, renting out his uh, taxpayer-funded Ottawa condo on Airbnb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> These shysters. Get, getting busted in a hit-and-run in which he backed into a car and then just, like, sped away. <laughs> 
and uh, illegally uh, hunting deer on private property. Oh, no. Well, that's I feel like that's the one that people would have the most objection to in Alberta. Yeah, but for a time, he was Kenny's golden boy. Right. And then when he became politically um, a political liability, Kenny just threw him to the wolves. Um, And now he runs a far right news site called the Western Standard, which uh, is sort of a um, reemergence of a publication originally founded by Ezra Levant in in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. Um, But. So, and and Gene, and, and sorry, and, and Fildebrandt is, again, getting lots of grassroots support at a local level mm-hmm. for this idea of merging. And so finally, Gene is like, okay, yeah, if the membership supports a merger, then I won't stand in the way. And so they have this vote on the merger. Um which I distinctly remember covering for uh, the White Court newspaper. Mm-hmm. And it passes overwhelmingly in, in both parties. There was like a local Wild Rose crank in, in White Court mm-hmm. that was like, oh, there's no, if, 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 we, if they vote to unite, I'm, I'm leaving the party. And then like 97, 95, 96% support of each party uh, vote in favor of unity. Mm-hmm. And then comes the UCP leadership race which Brian Jean runs in and Jason Kenny runs in. Mm-hmm. And by the, by the time this race happens, I'm now down in medicine hat working at the newspaper there, which is like a small city in like Southeastern Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, well, say about the UCP leadership race of 2017 is that it's still under investigation uh, by the RCMP seven <laughs> years later. Yeah. Over and, and there there have been media reports, so people are saying, not me. Not you. People been, are saying, people are saying said people are that saying. what Kenny was doing was going his people were going to ethnically diverse communities, like the Punjabi community, yeah. particularly in Calgary, where there are multi, lots of multifamily units and people are, are, are very welcoming and a lot of newcomers in that if you kind of show up and say, oh yeah, I'm running for this party leadership. Do you want to buy a membership? Do you want, do you want to buy a membership for your family? People will be like, yeah. And then Taking those emails that they were given, in some cases, people didn't even have emails. And then rerouting the leadership ballots to other emails. Oh, what? And and voting for Jason Kenney to lead the UCP. So it's like the classic, like, Simpson Sideshow Bob electoral fraud. It's like, it's like. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't, he was. There weren't any dead people. Dead pets weren't voted. But it sounds like dead pets could have voted for him. Yeah, yeah. And they were using VPNs. And uh, Brian Jean and Doug Schweitzer, um, who is another guy who was running in the leadership race, like called shenanigans on it. Um, and then they just shut the fuck up yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they wanted when, to win. After yeah. it happened. 
Uh, Jean left politics temporarily. Mm-hmm. Schweitzer ran for the UCP and became one of Kenny's fiercest loyalists. Mm-hmm. And um, there was also a fourth candidate in the race, a guy named Jeff Calloway, who was the former president of the Wild Rose. And it was like an open secret that this guy was brought on to serve as a kamikaze candidate so to speak Mm. for kenny because he was just attacking brian gene because they're right he was the president of the party when gene was leader and he was just blaming it for all its problems they brought in a ringer they brought in a jobber as they call it in wrestling well well well, kenny was just running again again he ran a one-note platform in that and this would come back to haunt him grassroots guarantee i don't have any policies because the grassroots of the party is going to decide right right yeah and he wins the leadership race, allegedly cheating. Yeah. Um, because it, Calloway's campaign was funded by a bunch of like straw donors yeah. who may have like exceeded the cap. A lot of mysterious uh, okay. stuff on. Th- but, so he wins the leadership. He wins the goddamn leadership. Notley's fucking up, or has just not done any. Like, what has Notley done such that nobody in Alberta likes her? Or what has she not done that nobody in Alberta likes Well, I think there's the farm safety legislation. People were upset about the carbon tax. Yeah. Um, although by then, Trudeau had sort of introduced the federal, like, stop yeah to the carbon tax but then what notley does is the, the there's the trans mountain pipeline yeah that is uh supposed to uh triple the amount of tar sands bitumen that is going to be exported at some point this year um that was in the works then and she decided that rather than be bolder and more ambitious on climate policy and do a better job communicating it to people she was just like, I am pulling out of the federal government's uh, climate plan, climate framework, mm. which included an increasing carbon tax, until they approve they they get this pipeline approved. So yeah, right? direct. So she undermined her own base, who are probably disappointed yeah, yeah, and that her. and that's what Notley spent doing. It yeah. was saying, no, 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 I'm I'm am pro oil. We're gonna get that pipeline built. Yeah, but right, conservatives never got pipelines built, but we're going to. Yeah, and and even last year in the election, Notley was bragging because now finally the pipeline's getting built. That. I got a pipeline built. How many pipelines did Kenny get built when he was in power? He yeah. didn't get any. But, and it, it's just like, what, what use are you? Yeah. And now it looks <laughs> like that uh, any, whoever succeeds her is going to be even worse. Yeah. So, uh, yay. Uh, but yeah, but, so she's undermined her own base. Kenny is doing all this outreach uh, based on, uh, he, he wields power effectively in that um, everyone sort of, everyone else in the party is intimidated by him and his goons. So um, he is just poised to absolutely poised to win the 2019 election. And yeah, he does. And, which he does, yeah. which he does. Notley decides to stay on as leader of opposition so she could run on an I told you so platform yeah. in the next election. And now and then Kenny launches after he's elected what he called the summer of repeal. And he just re, re, 
repeals like pretty much everything the NDP did that mm-hmm. was remotely worthwhile. Um, Carbon tax. One gone, thing the NDP you know. did was they increased the minimum wage from ten twenty an hour to fifteen dollars an hour in twenty gradually from twenty fifteen to twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. and that made it the highest in the country at the time. And they that was a good thing they did. Yeah. Now you can't. You can't lower people's wages if you want them to vote for you again. So what Kenny did was he created a two-tiered minimum wage, one for youth and one for who can't vote anyways. And if they do vote and are more and less likely to vote when they turn 18, and if they do vote, they're more likely to vote NDP anyways. Isn't that unconstitutional? That seems unconstitutional. That seems like general discrimination by age. But what do I know? You know? Well, what Kenny said was, it's a hell of a lot better. So he made the minimum wage them $13 an hour, and it stayed 15 where it's remained mm-hmm. for the past uh, seven years for everyone else. And he said $13 an hour is a hell of a lot better than $0 an hour, yes. which is the alternative. Of course. Which was a great line. Um, and... Uh, rolls back corporate taxes to make them even lower than they were when the NDP came to power. Uh, The NDP increased it from 10 to 12%. That was one of its early moves and it was ambitious. It was, it was effective. Like this year we're increasing it 2%. Whereas Kenny is like, we're rolling it back a percentage over a year until it's 8%, which will make it by far the lowest in Canada. And all these oil jobs are going to come back. And spoiler alert, they didn't because the savings that these oil and gas companies made and the big, the big five oil companies, which are now four because Shell bought Husky reported on their own, a projected $4.2 billion in savings in their quarterly reports after that tax cut. Mm-hmm. And that's just... Yeah, you don't need five to hire more time, people. Now, you just made $4 billion for doing nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, 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 and in fact, they invested in automation. Of course, right? yeah. So yeah. they could drill more faster, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, just uh, uh, and then all the union friendly reforms that the NDP did that didn't go far enough, but were were no doubt achievements like bringing in uh, automatic union certification through yeah. card check, um, uh, you know, time and a half overtime. Uh, strengthen yeah. like the small uh, incrementalist quality of life increases that were yeah. you know vaguely left Just wing yeah all gone totally totally eliminated yeah. um and, and and that was a way to keep both the sort of neoliberal slash neoconservative and clown fascist mm-hmm. factions of the party on board at first to 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 sort of maintain this this union unity that proved tenuous by just cutting people's taxes right mm-hmm. just focusing on economic issues and then he also launches this inquiry into this foreign funding of environmentalists he 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 creates this war room to provide the war, rapid response. The war room yeah. kenny's war it was actually called the war room 
Uh, well, it was that's how he referred to it in like his campaign yeah. and in the lead up to creating it. But then it was incorporated as the Canadian Energy Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became a laughing stock quite quickly. The height of that was it's going after Netflix for <laughs> a children's Bigfoot. Right. The, the sexy Bigfoot dad who who was. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, who is, it's very, that was very funny to me, because we used to have, like, all, most children's entertainment in the 90s was, like, environmentally bent, like, with Fern Gully and stuff like that, but yeah. now none of yeah. it is, because that shit's too real. So they went for, like, the one example of it that they could possibly find. Yeah, and, and it was, I mean, it was... I mean, the jokes were themselves. I mean, Kenny went and said that the, 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 this kid's movie was, like, vicious and defamatory. And it's like, first of all, it doesn't even take place in Alberta. Yeah. It's in Alaska. And second of all, what, what really made him... Because, right, it depicts this oil company kidnapping Bigfoot because he gets too close to the truth yeah. about their plot to, like blow up a nuclear device underground to get oil yeah it, at, it uh, under this like environmental preserve in alaska yeah but first of all oil companies are responsible for killing people all over the developing world yeah uh remember that's why we we're supposed to support canadian oil because it's ethical right yeah hey we don't have to we don't have to kill a million people in iraq we can we can only yeah. we can kill whoever dies in the fort mcmurray fires but you know they 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 Se- signed a contract second of all using a nuke yeah to access oil deposits was actually a thing that was contemplated in the 50s mm-hmm. by oil companies <laughs> These scrupulous oil companies, these highly scrupulous oil yeah. companies. Yeah. But anyway, and, and then this inquiry happens and it keeps changing its terms of reference. Uh, at first it was, we're, we're going after this, this foreign funded plot to subvert the oil sands. And then they quietly add the words, if any, to its terms of reference. It, it, um, it, it, and it keeps getting these deadline extensions. Mm-hmm. And, and then it, it, it turns out it was originally they, they were making it sound like this, these like McCarthyist like hearings mm-hmm. that they were going to compel these environmentalists to testify. And then it was like, actually, no, we're not going to do that. And also, we're not going to debunk any falsehoods because that's like the they hired an accountant to lead the inquiry, who is also a donor to the United Conservative Party. <laughs> Um, and, um, he was just like, yeah, I I don't know. I, it's not, I don't have time to fact track every claim by an environmentalist group. And then they spent money on commissioning these bizarre, like reports that were like really, um, talking about that. This was this globalist conspiracy of like, uh, you know, George Soros yeah. funding true these, Anon these... New World Order stuff, you know, like uh, true Anon yeah, as in Trudeau, we... true Anon, not not the popular podcast, true Anon, which was confusing yeah. for a bit. That was, yeah, yeah that was annoying too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as a fan of true Anon, yeah, but yeah. the podcast, yeah. um, but um, 
And then basically it comes, it comes out and it's like, yeah, everything's above board. Like, yeah, maybe you disagree with environmentalists, but they don't have a lot of foreign funding in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And they're people that are doing what they can about uh, uh, an issue they care deeply about. Yeah. I mean, it's but by that point, the damage had been done, right? Because yeah. the purpose wasn't to reach a damning conclusion, yeah. right? Or to it, it was just to to cast this shroud of suspicion around environmentalist activities, which it did. Yeah. Um, and anyways, um, I, I know we've been talking for like ever. Yeah, so, but well, what's uh, interesting to me about it is like he is very Trumpian as well in that he's like this campaigning genius. But like once he gets into power, just he, he can't do anything with it because he there is this like level of unfocus and incompetence to some degree. I mean, he got a lot of things done competently as in repealing stuff, but there's also like he, he couldn't maintain that momentum that allowed him to campaign so effectively. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, it was a uh, it was a catastrophic failure for the, the his political career. Mm-hmm. And that really came to the fore during the pandemic mm-hmm. when he the contradictions became insurmountable because one day he would have this, you know, televised address and say that this is the the greatest crisis uh, facing the world since the second world war. Mm -hmm. And we need to take this seriously to then in the legislature saying, well, I mean, it's just a flu, right? It's just an influenza. It only kills people who are going to die soon anyways. And then he would, I mean, during the first wave was when there was the most serious restrictions on COVID when there was anything in Alberta that you could say resembled a lockdown. Mm -hmm. And even then there were so many exceptions to the restrictions mm-hmm. like the meatpacking industry which became the site of the largest outbreak in north america in uh high river which is actually the town where danielle smith lives mm. um in uh april 2020 yeah. when half the workforce got covid and two workers and then a a a parent from one of the of one of the workers from the philippines died um and again this is very it was all these sectors that have like a largely racialized workforce it also uh gave kenny the opportunity to suspend like environmental monitoring of the tar sands which is already quite lax um as recent reports have shown Mm -hmm. um and then throughout the pandemic, he just gets torn between this sort of rural fascist clown caucus that's yeah. just like, no, let 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 the economy rip. And and and, and, <laughs> and you know, the 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 who cares? Like and that was his intention, yeah. right? His he he was just had this long-term view that if we do bare minimum restrictions at the start and then we can just encourage people to be responsible yeah. throughout the pandemic, right? He talked about, um, yeah, and, and then that was his approach after lifts restrictions yeah. gradually after the first wave. Then the second wave happens, and that's the deadliest mm-hmm. in Alberta. 
and he won't impose any restrictions. It's like, no, 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 personal responsibility. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Can just, yeah, just- he had, his numbers were the by far the highest numbers in Canada, right? The most people in Canada died of COVID in Alberta, right? Or am I uh, wrong about that? I could be wrong about that. I, I mean, perhaps proportionally, yeah. but not uh, not absolute. That would be Ontario yeah, yeah. Or, or Quebec. Yeah, right? but I think and, proportionally it was like there were more COVID deaths. And I, I could be wrong. I shouldn't I shouldn't say that because I'm not sure on the numbers for that. But, um, but there's a right. I mean, at various points, Alberta was the um, COVID hotspot yeah. for North America, whether it was the largest workplace outbreak in the first wave or I believe in the third wave, um, it was um, just the most cases per capita yeah. um, anywhere in Canada in the United States. Uh, yeah, he beating was even up. Michigan. Yeah, he could. He was. Yeah, he was really undeniably. And, and, and so he just kept bouncing back between just take your own responsibility. And then as things got really, really bad and he had ignored calls for physicians for weeks saying, no, we need like a strict lockdown for two weeks to stop the spread. And then we could talk about getting back to normal. Mm -hmm. He, he just didn't do anything. Yeah. He, he was like, no personal responsibility. A reporter famously asked him in December, 2020, when we were at like the height of the second wave, like, do you take any responsibility for all the deaths we're seeing now? And he was like, that sounds like an NDP talking point, not a journalist <laughs> question, right? Like, yeah. he was he was shook, yeah. right? He was shook that this approach of trying to please everyone... Yeah. Please no one. He fucked and it then, up. Yeah, he, so, flan- he, he, he broke the Flanagan thing. He, he tried to get too wide... He cast too wide of a net, and it ended up tearing him asunder. Yeah, I think that's very true, actually, and I hadn't considered that, but I, 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 I agree. Yeah. Because really, the people whose support he needed to remain as leader of the UCP and thus premier were the ones who were like, no, don't do anything. Like, this is all fake anyways. It's not that big of a deal, right? It wasn't the people in big cities who were like, actually, you should... uh, you know, shut down certain sectors mm-hmm. for certain. Yeah, they they were all more doctors. business elite, so they understood. No, you have to. You know, you got to sort of do certain yeah. things to make things keep going. You know, they had a sense of yeah. like logic or economic understanding that the rural clowns did not. Yeah, but anyways, so in late 2020, near the end of 2020, he reluctantly imposes these restrictions that don't make any sense. Yeah. And I I think the gist of them is that you couldn't gather with a friend outside. <laughs> yeah. But you could go to the mall with them. You could meet them at the mall where, uh, you know, again, it was Christmas time. God, keep the wheels yeah. of capitalism. Indoor space, turn. you know, and, outdoor spaces are bad, but indoor spaces are better if you're with a friend, you know. And, and, and that just fueled denialism. Yeah. And... Basically, he but he he has this phased reopening plan tied to hospitalizations in 2021. Mm -hmm. And then once they get to phase three. Because the restrictions were like nonsensical. Mm -hmm. The hospitalizations started to increase above the threshold. And so they went back to the. Um, 
restrictions regime that he implemented in the end of 2020, which didn't make any sense. And this is when people in his caucus start speaking up and saying, this is unacceptable. Um, Kenny's slogan was lives and livelihoods. That was his thing, right? Putting the economy and people's lives on equal footing. But in reality, his policies privileged the livelihoods part but yeah. these people were saying no you're not you need to protect our livelihoods and freedoms yeah right so lives isn't even part of the equation in that yeah and that was essentially the entire rural ucp caucus signed this open letter saying no we no more restrictions uh some of them were going around saying that the lockdowns which weren't actual lockdowns we're killing as many people as COVID and like really out there stuff. And so basically he makes a Hail Mary and he's like, okay, we're going to reopen. The vaccine is available now. Once 70% of people get their first vaccine dose, mm-hmm. we're, if they do it before July 1st, we're opening for the summer. Calgary Stampede's going to be back because it was canceled for the first time in like a hundred years huge blow to the economy massive blow to the yeah economy. The in 2020 yeah <laughs> yeah he's like we're open for, and, and we're doing it for good yeah. we're never go- closing down again and then uh, that's what happened 70 percent of albertans got their first dose of the vaccine yeah. you saw ontario and bc which also mismanaged the pandemic in their own ways mm-hmm. but always had jason kenny as sort of a foil to be like well at least yeah, it's we're not doing Alberta. This guy, yeah. <laughs> took a much more prudent approach right they were gonna reopen mm-hmm. in the fall and i believe their criteria for vaccination was tied to having both doses yeah. not just one um, and would you know it that the anti-lockdown people immediately pivoted to being anti-vaxxers? Oh, no. And, Who could have seen this? And, 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 and Kenny was against telling people, be personally responsible, take your vaccination. But essentially, after it hit 70% at first dose, it just froze because he was like, yeah, it's over. We're open for good. Yeah. Best summer ever. They sold hats on the UCP website. Um Best summer ever, Alberta 2021. <laughs> and then closer to the fall, when ICU admissions were skyrocketing yeah. to unforeseen heights, they still were selling that hat on their website. Best summer and Kenny ever. just fucked off. He fucked off. He went on vacation and nobody knew where. Nobody, nobody knew where he went. And he claimed that he was talking to his aides every day about the COVID situation. He was fully briefed. And then CTV, one of the major news broadcasters in Canada, got his uh, weekly calendar. And it was like once a week he had a COVID briefing. And yeah. and, and still, I couldn't figure it out. No, no one knows where he went um, for those three weeks. Comes back. And then, and again... Um, ICU admissions were over capacity. Yeah. There are like 235 yeah. All ICU people in his base, too. All them. people in the rural. <laughs> They're mostly people in the rural. <laughs> I, I, obviously, that's a joke. I don't know how many people, but it seems like a lot of the more uh, anti-vaxxer-ish people, the ones who would be more susceptible to the disease, were, were Kenny voters than were... Uh, right. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I would say that's the case. I, yeah. And that was the case everywhere, right? Yeah. The, the people 
being most adversely affected by these anti-vaccine policies mm-hmm. were uh, people who were uh, not vaccinated. Yeah. But um, then he's like, okay, fine. And he introduces a vaccine passport, but it isn't called that. And he had assured anti-vaxxers who were protesting him at Calgary Stampede mm-hmm. because he was encouraging people to get vaccinated that don't worry, we're, we're not forcing anyone to get vaccinated. You have nothing yeah. to worry about. And then he implements this vaccine passport. He, which was, but he did it in a convoluted way where he introduced new restrictions. And then it was like, but if you require proof of vaccination to enter, you don't have to abide by these restrictions. Yeah. <laughs> right? So just nonsense, just complete and utter hypocritical, like, is one rule contradicts, how like his Catholicism in many ways, that it's all about one rule contradict. And we, you know, we, we've been talking for a really long time about this. <laughs> and, you know, yes. at, at the end of it, I mean, it's a really good and interesting history, but basically, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, this isn't even the end of it, too. Like, after the COVID thing, he still fucks up a little more to the point where we end up getting Danielle Smith in uh, currently. Right, yeah. because at least... So then the Freedom Convoy happens. The Freedom right? Convoy! In, in, of course, if people don't Kenny, know, if people don't remember the Freedom Convoy, it was the anti-vaxxer truckers that were... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, protesting in Ottawa and really fucking shit up, actually. And and at the same time, uh, within the party, people are mobilizing against Kenny's leadership. They want a leadership review because yeah. it's like this guy is uh, infringing upon our our freedoms. He's he's right. He he came to power on on the promise of the grassroots guarantee. Yeah, and now he's ignoring he's, that. <laughs> Because all yeah, of his, he's, he's, he's vaxxing again, and all of his little grassroots guys who are dying from the disease, you know, <laughs> they hate and him. And nobody bought, nobody bought that Kenny was this authentic populist and wasn't like an Ottawa elite. Yeah. They were just like, okay, he's going to win us election, yeah. an election. He's going to cut our taxes. But then COVID put a whole other dynamic into the equation of these restrictions, um, and also his poll numbers were tanking because even the people who don't make up the party base but may have voted UCP mm-hmm. were dissatisfied with him, right? Who may- wanted restrictions because he was introducing them way too late to do anything and so reluctantly and he kept dithering and he um you know early in the pandemic he talked about how we need to take decisive leadership like like in the 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 second world war right yeah and 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 then he he just ended up floundering because of the contradictions in his ideology mm-hmm. and the coalition he courted yeah so Freedom Convoy comes around and he is on the, again, on the one hand, he's saying, oh, these people, uh, 
you know, he he takes a veiled jab at yeah. like Polyev for supporting. Yeah, it's hard to be a populist cause... when you are an elite. You know, everything about your career, and like you said before, he's an authoritarian. And your ideology yeah, yeah, yeah. is fundamentally elitist. It's all about respect for for institutions yeah. and the hierarchies that are embedded in them, yeah. like the monarchy or the Vatican, and um. So he's not a huge fan of the Freedom Convoy, uh, especially not the blockade that happens at the border between Alberta and Montana, yeah. where people were uh, stockpiling weapons and a bunch of people were arrested for allegedly conspiring to kill a cop. Um, but then when Trudeau announces that he's using the Emergency Act to get rid of the convoy from Ottawa... Kenny's like, this is unacceptable. This is an infringement of our freedoms. Yeah. And right, because people were mobilizing against him within the party yeah. at that so point. So this is like a way and to Den- pick up easy points is just support the freedom. Yeah. Run, but yeah. And Danielle Smith was like, if he doesn't, if he steps down, I'm going to run for the leadership and I'm going to be everything he said he was, but mm-hmm. actually. Right. Yeah. And Smith can do that because she doesn't have this like deeply embedded uh veneration of like traditional institutions she's wild rose baby she's rugged individualism she's cowboy she's cowboy curtis well no cowboy curtis was a good figure uh this lady is not like cowboy Cowboy curtis is a noble presence she is not cowboy curtis throughout the pandemic smith had a uh a a job as radio host on this mainstream radio station and then she quit to make a statement about cancel culture and started her own newsletter where she talked about you know crypto yeah she's perfect uh, for trumpism she's absolutely made for clown fascism you know she she was able to whereas kenny is this guy who's just this in-between figure he's in some ways he's kind of like a bizarro desantis in some ways where he's like someone who's obviously from this older guard of and where, but whereas DeSantis did really good on a state level, or at least the people in his state like him, and he didn't alienate it, he did terribly on a federal level. Whereas with Kenny, it was the reverse. You know, he did uh, good, but he sort of has the same like rizless, glad handing personality that Ron DeSantis has as well. Just personally, sort of unpleasant, and doesn't have that wild charisma. That someone, you know, Daniel Smith is a terrible person. Polly Ever is a terrible person, but they have the thing that's able to activate those, you know, uh, the U- the UCP rural uh, caucus, you know? Yeah, and I understand that with Smith, because as someone who's, like, interviewed her before and stuff, she is very likable in a weird way. Like, she's she's a very talented communicator. Yeah, well, in um, the same way that Gavin McInnes is quote-unquote likable. She, he has, like, the razzle-dazzle. He's got that entertainer spirit, you know? But interestingly, Smith said that like Ron DeSantis is her hero in what she's doing with with this anti-trans, uh, uh, these anti-trans uh, yeah. policies that she's talking about. I mean, it's right out of the DeSantis uh, playbook. Oh, yeah. I mean, banning trans women from women's sports. Um, Limiting uh, uh, under 18 trans health care. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, forbidding uh, hormone uh blockers yeah. uh for presumably just for the purposes of gender uh identity yeah. um exploration i don't think for kids who are say going through puberty early like they've been used for decades yeah um but my point is 
Kenny, mm-hmm. like Smith was there to pick up the mantle from Kenny mm-hmm. when the contradictions in his project became insurmountable. He scraped by in his leadership vote with 51.4%, still has never lost an election. That was right. Mm-hmm. He said, that's not enough to stay on. I'm going to step down. Yeah. Right. And I mean, Alberta conservative politicians in Alberta have stepped down after getting 75% their leadership review. You just, you can't rule over that fractious caucus. And then um, here we are today with, uh, um, with, with somehow an even worse person. You know, I mean, Kenny was really bad and set up this, I mean, actually prop, she's not worse than Kenny, but she's like um, definitely more overtly aggressive than him, which is uh, worrisome. Yeah. Yeah, well, in that, but I, I, I guess I want because I think probably we should wrap up. We've been speaking for well, we'll wrap up. There's and, one more subject which we'll devote like five minutes to because that's why we called the episode "Good Canada Land" to begin with. Oh and yeah, there's one okay, thing which we we'll didn't even on. get to because we were too busy doing. You were delivering this wonderful oral history of Jason Kenney, a pivotal figure not just in Canadian politics but I think represents is like this great like a uh, living object lesson in the discarding of neoconservative politics in favor of this new cultural guard of conservatism. He's like this living embodiment of it. Right. And that, and that I think uh, leads me to my final point yeah. is that right. Kenny and all his media appearances since has been like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm a conservative bit of a populist, but this conservatism you see with Donald Trump and I mean, he never names Danielle yeah. Smith, but, uh, uh, clearly is, uh, re- referencing her to some extent is that's not me. This is populism with a snarl. This, this seeks to tear down institutions. Mm-hmm. And I, for all the differences between Jason Kenney and Danielle Smith, in practice, they serve the same project. And if there's a book beyond my own that I would recommend to listeners who've made it this far and want to read further um, about sort of this uh, purpose of conservative ideology is Corey Robbins, The Reactionary Mind, Conservatism mm-hmm. from Edmund Burke to Sarah Palin, where he articulates how the conservative project is simply one of strengthening the existing pecking order, Mm -hmm. right? And in response to progress and movements from progress, conservatives are constantly updating their positions in their strategies to hold on to as much of the old order as they can. So in that respect, Donald Trump is not much of an aberration from George W. Bush. Oh, no. Who wasn't that much of an aberration from his dad or Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Right? But it's It's just just how they do it. Like, what method do they go about? Yeah. It's just using different strategies and intellectual frameworks to justify what is at its core the end goal of conservatism yeah and so in that respect i i I think danielle smith is carrying on right from where jason kenny left off and 
Uh, Kenny can cry all he wants about how this isn't his conservative party, even though he certainly still votes for it. Um, it is. It very much is. And he, more than almost anyone else in Canada, put his signature on conservative politics. That and, and, and not just conservative politics, but shifting the entire terms of debate no. rightwards. In in between Paul Ever and Harper, he is the most significant conservative figure in Canada, probably. Yeah, well, yeah, and I, Mike Harris as well, yeah, I would say, yeah. who now sits on the board of a long-term care company. Oh, um, oh no. <laughs> That's yeah. horrifying to think about. Um, but yeah, yeah Kenny, I, I mean, Paul... Freaking Kenny. He's, he's just... He's absolutely worth studying. You should pick up the book. Um... We haven't even gotten to like half of the stuff yet either. Like, even though this was like three, we didn't even get into his Catholicism. We didn't even get into Orphan Wells, which was we talked about on an episode way, way back. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> so pick up the book, and I'm sure that'll be in there. I'm sure all of that stuff will be in there. Um, and just to round out the back of the episode, this episode is called Good Canada Land because Canada Land, which if you're an American listener, don't know, was. Not just an important Canadian, like, sort of podcast or new independent media thing, but sort of one of the ones that, even, like, pre-Chapo, demonstrated to the world that, like, internet independent media was this, like, viable alternative thing, and you could do, like, really good and rigorous journalism with it. And the leading figure of it was this guy called Jesse Brown, who has very recently... I don't know what's happened to that guy, but he has gone off the freaking deep end. You know, first it was with, like, very Zionist takes or, like, very, you know, punching uh, Palestinian, punching left on Palestinian people. And now it's like, like, what was the one about his, the Taylor Swift AI one? Yeah, he was talking about how, like, AI deepfake porn uh, should be legal. And then he posted some animated, like, pornographic kind of image of Trudeau and was like, should this be illegal? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> and, and, um, yeah, I mean, he's totally gone off the rails. What, um, why, the why he, has he gone up? Does anyone know? Is it just this round of Palestine reporting broke his like, like, uh, I, I think that's thing? that. Because really, as a media critic, yeah. which is his... Like, I would describe Candeland as... And I think it explicitly, uh, Jesse has said in the past, that he sees as a model uh, on the media yeah. in the States. But it would be if on the media had its own network of different podcasts and also produced journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, like, like uh, online sort of investigative journalism is what I mean. Yeah. Of course, on the media is... And and so Jesse sort of uh, fashions himself as this media critic, and uh, I mean he's always had these weird sort of incoherent, I would say libertarian leaning yeah. politics. But I I think undoubtedly for the past decade he's been uh, more of a force for good uh, than bad until October seventh, where <laughs> yeah, um, it's that broke him, he, yeah. Yeah, it, it broke his brain. Um, and the way he's been talking about this issue has just been like, it's all about, there's so much anti Semitism. Oh my, Jews are being gaslit. There's Cafe Landware. Cafe Landware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so, the, the, you know, I think the peak of the absurdity of this approach is he, um, so Indigo, um, 
which is the largest uh, books. Yeah, the Canadian store. equivalent to Barnes and Nobles. Yeah, it's like an oligopoly in Canada of like mainstream bookstores whose founder and CEO is a woman named Heather Reisman, who set up a foundation to provide scholarships for young Jews who live outside of Israel to serve in the IDF. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, I think it's pretty understandable why that might become a target for boycott yeah. among uh, pro-Palestine activists as the situation in Gaza becomes more and more desperate and clearly uh, genocidal. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, for Jesse, this was an example of, he he uh, said it was a Jewish-owned bookstore being defaced. Um, <laughs> you on, can buy uh, Kennyism at Indigo, I'm sure. <laughs> you can. I would... I would uh, recommend you don't but obviously i'm not uh as big time and enough of a big time author to yeah. be in the business of policing where people buy my book yeah. um but i would i would definitely recommend that you do it at an independent bookstore um or if your choice if you live in like a small center with no independent bookstores and your choice is between amazon or indigo i would say in the current moment Amazon is the, the lesser less overtly evil. Zionist entity. So, yeah. yeah. The, but, the and, less yeah, genocidal so, entity. But, Still fairly yeah, genocidal. And, just, and so Jesse's been just talking about anti-Semitism constantly. Not talking about the situation in Gaza. Just talking about how it affects him personally and how scared he is as a Jewish person uh, who is independently wealthy in Toronto. And then when someone pointed out that he's like a millionaire because he created those uh, bit strips... Emojis. No way! He did that? Yeah, he yeah, created yeah. Bitmojis? Yeah. That's insane. I mean, oh man, what a legacy to shit on, because I love those things. But yeah. then that, then he said, um, oh, you're saying that Jewish people are wealthy? Like, just the most bad faith oh, attack yeah. to anyone who pushes back against this narrative. The most Uncle Leo narrative. type anti-Semitism deflection. Yeah, yeah, there is. And I do, I do want to write a piece at some point about the Uncle Leo-fication <laughs> of Jewish communal discourse. Yes. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, just the, such bad faith. Um, and I mean, he's a media critic, right? And there are so many examples of Canadian media being systematically biased towards Israel. I mean, the Izzy Asper, the guy who owned most of the newspapers in Canada and global news for a period in the early 2000s was open openly saying no like you you sh you can't criticize Israel in my publications yeah. fuck off and 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 and, and, and again uh the, the global is now owned by another company whereas these newspapers are owned by uh a chain called Post Media that imposes this this rigid conservative pro-Israel anti-trans line on its publications across the country. Yeah. And here you have him, he got mad because there was a pro-Israel protest in Ottawa that a newscaster on CTV News, Canada's most watched nightly newscast, which forbids its anchors from using the word Palestine, called a pro-war demonstration. And she said <laughs> that this is this is putting Jewish people in danger. Yeah. Um and I, I, yeah. I mean, what, 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 what can you say? Well, what's that? especially I mean, weird about it is this like hysterical attitude towards Palestine protests and towards Israel has somehow bled out into his other opinions as well, like opinions which shouldn't be affected. Like 
it, it, like uh, other stuff that doesn't even have to do with Israel is just much dumber now. It, like it, it, he seems, it seems to have like fully destroyed his mind, and yeah, such and to I the mean, point that like Canada Land staffers are like in mutiny against him, essentially. Yeah, I mean Canada Land is unionized, and I, I know a lot of great journalists who work there. Everyone I know who works there, except for Jesse, is a great journalist. Yeah. Jesse at least used to be. I, I've been on his show too, and I, I thought he was. A, I was like, wow, he's like a pro. Yeah. Uh, we were actually talking about Ukrainian Nazis, which I think also kind of broke his brain. Yeah. And maybe reinforced some. Uh, um, this mindset that he was raised in, and many Jewish people were raised in, like myself. Yeah, they're all they're that, all out to get you. They're all out to kill you. You need a fortress. You need Is, a fortress. Yeah, yeah, you need a militarized fortress. Yeah. It's doing nothing wrong. Uh, everyone's just singling it out because they hate Jews. But if you're a media critic, you should be able to critique your own personal biases and interrogate them and. Uh, seek out other points of view and he's totally failing in that regard and it, it, it's tempting to say that he's failing to rise to the moment but what he's doing is far worse because he's shitting on anyone who's rising to the moment and and, and when jesse had that when he was crying about uh this pro-war rally which was i mean the israeli ambassador spoke he said we are gonna win this fight fucking rex murphy one of the biggest right-wing shitheads mm -hmm. in canada's op-ed pages that are literally littered with them spoke at this rally Right. But he's like, no, 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 this was a rally against anti-Semitism. Right. It had nothing to do with Israel. And it's like everyone there has an Israeli flag. What the fuck yeah. are you talking about? And then anyone who's like, uh, like a hundred Palestinian journalists have been killed in Gaza. It's weird that you aren't commenting on that. He's like, why do you want me to say an opinion on Israel? Is it because I'm Jewish? And it's like, <laughs> why, why uncle Leo, uncle Leo. Yeah, it is. It, it's, bananas and i mean the thing is i think he's finding i mean again the 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 right wing um ideologues who yeah. populate canada's op-ed pages are uh i think he's finding himself in their company now and his employees have to scramble to do damage yeah, control. Now national and, post and, pundits are like wait jesse brown is based you know, I never yeah, thought yeah. I'd be on the same side as Jesse Brown. You know, I heard my very conservative dad the other day is like he was talking about I heard a guy talking about Israel and I agreed with him. And it turns out it was John Fetterman. And <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we, we've already been talking for hours and hours at this point. Um, just want to say, Jesse Brown, what are you doing? Come back to the fold. You know, you, there's still time. You can come back. We'll we'll treat, you know, we'll. <laughs> We'll forgive you. Uh, maybe but not. But also he keeps he keeps getting basic facts wrong in 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 his attacks that on on people and it's always racialized people that he's accusing of being these anti-Semitic yeah. hordes. While at the same time being like, I'm not even talking about Israel. What do you mean? I'm talking about anti-Semitism at home. And it's like, but you're talking about anti-Semitism at home solely in relation to uh, protests against Israel's policies um, that you haven't said anything in opposition to you to, 
anything in opposition to. And it's not because you're Jewish that people are expecting you to. It's because you don't shut the fuck up about how anti-Semitic <laughs> you think that supporters of Palestine are. And I, I mean, what fueled the union from issuing a letter distancing themselves from him was this this ridiculous hit piece he did on one of the only op-ed columnists in Canada who actually criticizes Israel, Shri Paradkar, yeah. um, who is fantastic. And I do uh, encourage you to uh, read her work at the Toronto Star that essentially claimed that she was fired. She had an internal role as an ombudsman uh, for uh, against like discrimination where racialized people at the star had concerns that they were uncomfortable from taking to management, she would serve as an in-between. Mm -hmm. And so Jesse did this piece saying that she was fired from that role um, because according to two people he spoke to work at star, one of whom was probably his cousin, who's a columnist at the star, um, said she was making Jewish people unsafe with her tweets uh, critical of Israel and questioning um, that every single fact that Israel's propagandists have claimed about October 7th yeah. is true, which, as we have yeah, since many of them found, have been disproven, yeah, including the friendly are, are, are fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So much friendly fire. Yeah. He said she was fired, and then uh, she comes out, and the union comes out, and they're like, uh, no, she has the same job. It was just moved from a management role to a union role. And then the, the, the story makes these bizarre, logical leaps, complaining that, um, you know, the October 7th snuff film that the Israeli embassy was hosting, yeah. that his sources were upset that they weren't allowed to go. Be because they didn't want to duplicate assignments because they sent one of their shithead columnists, Rosie DeMano, Ugh. to cover it and just cover it uncritically. Um, Stenographer uh, for, yeah, authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he's upset. And, and so there are two things there that it's anti-Semitic for the Toronto Star to not want to send reporters to that screening when they could be covering a million other things mm -hmm. and they are already covering it. And that also somehow Shri Pardkar is to blame for that. And, and, and so anyways, the story had a ton of corrections in it. Yeah. Um, it, he's not only like the journalistic rigor of which he could have been expected before has since gone by the wayside since October 7th broke his brain. And you know, it's sad because I, liked Canada. Canada land was pivotal in my political development. And it's like, I, well, I don't think like Jesse Brown was like a perfect guy or anything like that. I at one, I wore, I wouldn't say he's a hero. I would say he was somebody that was like, I thought was doing good in this world. And it's really sad that, uh, that can change on a dime, you know? Yeah. I mean, he always had a blind spot for Israel. I noticed since the beginning, yeah. but it was like a minor thing. Right. Yeah. And he was doing all this great work, but now he's so hyper fixated on promoting Israel's narrative yeah. that it, you can't just dismiss it and it's impacting the, and again, it's, it's trash. It's not, it, it, it's, it's totally like, like, again, go write for Quillette. I mean, there are a lot who are trying, who, who, who are trying their best. Uh, I mean, and you see, um, 
thankfully shortcuts uh which is their biggest show where they have a guest on and mm-hmm. they talk about news stories and most recently uh he went on this bizarre tirade where the guest didn't say anything about the uh bc minister of advanced education who was sacked from cabinet after um repeatedly saying anti-palestinian mm-hmm. uh comments and probably also leaning on post-secondary institutions to take down statements from uh faculties that were sympathetic to the palestinians uh and uh fire a professor who uh said that the october 7th attack was brilliant which i mean not something i would have said but but yeah yeah academic freedom is academic freedom um um but um and just went on this tirade that she's being singled out because she's Jewish and that another member of the Holocaust uh, of geez, member of the NDP caucus in BC wasn't disciplined after she signed a letter questioning the 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 that Hamas committed rapes yeah. on mass on October 7th. And it's like, no, 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 but I, uh, there's a there's a correction on that episode that I just noticed yesterday. I didn't bother listening to it, but a friend yeah. told me. It's just a monologue, like the guest didn't even say anything. Yeah. And first of all, the person he said was a member of the uh, BC NDP caucus was actually a city councillor in Victoria. <laughs> she did sign. She did sign a letter saying that claims of mass rapes by Hamas were unverified in October, mm-hmm. and uh, she was criticized by the Minister of Municipal Affairs in the BC government, but no, the Premier didn't say anything about it. And it's just like, man, you're fucking slipping. You're slipping. Like, go to therapy. Take time off. <laughs> Men will literally publish is, journalistic uh, errors instead of going to therapy. <laughs> yeah, it, and, and, like, uh, but I think the thing is, he sort of entered what Naomi Klein has called the mirror world Mm. where he has this new audience of people who thought he was a woke dipshit now, like cheering him on and like also like encouraging him to just fire all his staff. It's like Dave Chappelle's new audience or, you know, anytime someone, I mean, it's very, the same thing with turf. Yeah. Yeah. When someone takes on, like when someone becomes a turf, it takes over their entire life. Suddenly they can't talk about anything else anymore because they've gone to the single illogical issue that has, you know, consumes their existentialist metaphysical reality, you know? But, um, and then your wife leaves then you. Then your wife leaves you. Uh, and you go, you double down. And uh, <laughs> so, Jeremy, thank you for, for talking at length. You are the good Canadian. We've talked about two terrible Canadian Jays, and you are the good Canadian Jay. The good Canadian Jay of Jeremy Appel. Um, Thank you. Where, well, also there's Justin Trudeau, yes, which is another bad, bad Canadian bad, Jay. A bad Jay. Uh, we might get onto him. When John you, K. John K. Dog shampoo man. Uh, not, but Who there is a good Jesse Canadian Brown. John K., the lead singer of Steppenwolf. And it always made me mad that uh, John <laughs> K. overtook the John K. of Steppenwolf. And then the much worse John K., that is John Crick Falusi, the creator of Ren and Stimpy. Uh, who was also a Canadian oh. John Kay, who is somehow much worse than the columnist John Kay for reasons that we don't need to get into. 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. Do you have another like three? We're gonna talk of that. Oh, okay. We're gonna go another hour on Ren and Stimpy. Okay, it's gonna be Ren and Stimpy. You know, now is my time to rant at you, my friend. Now is my time to rant at you for Ren and Stimpy. You want to do an oral history of Ren? I don't know why I've gone Cajun for this, but um, uh, I like that. Well, because Ren and Stimpy. Well, he's Ren is uh, he's Peter Laurie. Uh, Cajun, I, I just like the idea of like there's a YouTube, you know how there's all sorts of like cartoon YouTube reviewers, but what if there was like Cajun ones, my favorite one is Steven Universe, I guarantee Steven Universe, <laughs> you know, that's my new character that'll be the next episode is Cajun cartoon reviews, anyway <laughs> Jeremy, uh, where can they find you on the internet I am on X at Jeremy Appel 1025 I'm also on Blue Sky and uh, you can read my journalism at readtheorchard.org, which is my newsletter. Uh, and you can buy the book wherever you buy your books, but preferably not at Indigo if you're listening in Canada. Um, thank you. And I hope I made uh, Alberta provincial politics somewhat interesting for an audience outside of Alberta. You did. You absolutely did. And you will be the greatest Canadian Jay of them all. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> Take care.